It's two minutes to ten, which means it's just about time to do my show. My program being Dave's Gone By, been running for ten and a half years now, and it airs every Saturday from ten until one in the afternoon, Mountain Time, on uncradio.com. Do not miss this episode. It's going to be a tremendous amount of, well, I don't know, tremendous, a lot, a lot of fun. I don't want to use too much hyperbole, but dig this. We got Rabbi Saul Solomon, our special spiritual leader of the program. He is, of course, the founder and spiritual guide for Temple Sons of Bitches in Great Neck, New York. And he's with us to talk to Rosalind Kind, who is a singer and an actress. She's also the sister of uh, none other than Barbara Streisand and has been doing a concert tour with her. So Rabbi Sal will be bringing up all sorts of things about her career, about Broadway, about Barbara, and about Yiddishkeit too. So should be a lot of fun with Rabbi Sal and Rosalind Kine coming up on the program. Also going to have our weekly Bob Dylan Sooner and Later segment where we play different songs from different times in Dylan's career. So from the earliest 19, late 1950s home recordings all the way up through his recent Tempest album and anything in between, we will go inside Broadway for news of what's happening now that the, the Broadway spring season is ramping into full gear. And also, I'll be talking about some shows that I saw when I was in Indianapolis last week. In fact, I'll be telling you about my whole Indianapolis trip as well as reviewing some of the shows musicals and plays and fringe theater kind of things that I saw when I was indie. So all of that, a lot of, lot of fun to be had and a lot of music too on this upcoming episode of Dave's Gone By. Just want to remind you that you can find out more about the show by going to the website davesgoneby.com and you can email me davesgoneby at aol.com with any comments or requests or suggestions and do check our Facebook Radio Dave Lefkowitz is the Facebook address Radio Dave Lefkowitz, because during the broadcast, every five or ten minutes or so, or, or so, we will try and update the playlist of the songs that we're playing, so you know what we're doing on this episode. Anyway, we're, uh, it is exactly ten o'clock, so time to start the show, which we will, as we've done virtually every episode since the very first one back in 2002, we begin with Captain Beefheart and the Magic Band. Tropical Hot Dog Night. that we don't know what it means. You know in your bones and in your guts what somehow 
Tropical Hot Dog Night means and feels like, courtesy of Captain Beefheart and the Magic Band. And here, I've been a week away from the microphone. I've missed it, a little rusty, I must admit, but thrilled to get back doing my show, the 417th episode of Dave's Gone By, here on UNC Radio, the radio station of the University of Northern Colorado. And um, the reason I was not here last week doing my show was I was away. Well, that, that kind of makes sense, but I was in Indianapolis, Indiana, for about four and a half, five days with a conference of the American Theater Critics Association, of which I am one, and it's almost hard for me to believe, but I've been one for almost 25 years, have been with the organization, have been reviewing theater and writing about the arts and about theater and productions for all that time, and love to be a member of this group. It's theater critics from all over America, and we do our thing. We've written for newspapers, for magazines, now, of course, for blogs and websites, and then twice a year, we all get together as best we can. And one time per year, we go to a city for about a week, and we experience the theater of that city. We, we see all the shows. We also go eat in restaurants and do museums and see some dance stuff and, and try to be multicultural. Well, no, that's, <laughs> that's the right word in the wrong context. But we try to do a bunch of different things while we're in that city. And so being a member of the organization has brought me everywhere from uh, like Cleveland, Ohio, to Seattle, to Los Angeles, to I think we have one in San Francisco, all the way up to um, the Stratford and Shaw Festivals in Canada. So we'll do that every year, once a week. We'll, we'll, we'll organize a meeting in a city, and we'll just do the city, and it's wonderful. And then another time during the year, we will very often do a shorter meeting of about three or four days, and that is again the same kind of thing, except it's more compressed, and obviously we get to do a little less stuff. But very often back in the day, when I was first in the organization, that short meeting was in New York, because everybody wanted to go to New York if they weren't already in New York, and it was the hub of theater activity, and <clears throat> of course there's always shows to see, dozens, hundreds of shows when you're in Manhattan. But that has gotten less and less over the years. It's been tougher to get the tickets that critics need uh, in order to, to write their stories and see these shows. And the press agents have been less forthcoming. It's become really uh, tough. And so instead, people have sometimes been going to the Humana Festival in Louisville or past few years, every other year, we found ourselves in Denver, Denver, Colorado, with the new play um, thing that they do. I'm, I'm sorry for not remembering what they do at the DCPA, what it's exactly called, but they just had it uh, a couple of weeks ago, the new play festival, where they do some staged readings, a couple of mountings of plays, and it's really professional and really great to be there. And the Denver Center is very accommodating and, and great when the critics come in. But this particular year, instead of going to New York or the Denver Center or Humana, we all went to Indianapolis, because a really great guy there, Lou Harry, who writes for the Indianapolis Business Journal, decided to organize the festival um, because, because the organizers are from within the organization. There are people in our group who believe in their cities and what their cities are doing culturally and in theater. And so they want to um, share that. They want to say to all the rest of the membership of the American Theater Critics Association, hey, you know, not all theater is just being done 
right on 45th Street. And it's not all being done in Chicago or Los Angeles. There's other places where interesting professional work is being done. And that's what brings us to places like Seattle and Cleveland and you know, other places that were, where we were in Dallas-Fort Worth a few years ago. So, you know, go figure. Here we, we go off to Indiana, and we go to Indiana, Indiana Repertory Theater, and we go to a fringe theater that they have there. Meanwhile, of course, we're also doing special cool stuff, like going to the Kurt Vonnegut Library, which I'll tell you about. And we'll, we went to... Um, the Indianapolis Museum of Art, of course, and an Eigeljorg Museum, which had this exhibit of guitars owned by famous rock stars. Woohoo! I'll be telling you about that, too. So, yeah, it was just this great three and a half, four days that I was able to spend in Indiana. And that's where I was the past, well, last weekend when I wasn't here doing the show. So I've come back to you with all the things I want to tell you about being in Indiana which will be not only the city itself, but some shows I want to review in our Inside Broadway segment. So that's one of the things that we do on the show. We go cultural. I talk about Broadway and what's happening there. I'll review some shows. And this time, I'll be reviewing some shows in Indiana, which will be kind of fun. Plus, what else are we going to do on this episode of Dave's Gone By? Well, every week, we do our Bob Dylan Sooner and Later segment, where we take songs from all different times of his career, from the earliest 1958-59 home recordings all the way up through his Tempest album and his recent stuff and everything in between. And the topic of this Dylan segment will be Passover, because we're just finishing the Jewish holiday of Passover. Actually, it's still going on. It started last um, on Monday night when we were flying back into town, and so it'll still be going up for another day or two. So, yeah, we're going to have some Bob Dylan songs that, on some level, in some way, I can connect thematically to the Jewish holiday of Passover. Should be fun. And, yeah, that, that'll, that'll be enough. Oh, oh, God, how can I forget the most important thing? Oh, my goodness. One of um, our favorite people here in the neighborhood is the great, the beloved Rabbi Saul Solomon. He is the founder and spiritual leader of Temple Sons of Bitches in Great Neck, New York. Rabbi Saul, known around these parts for doing his one-man show, Shalom Dammit, an evening with Rabbi Saul Solomon that he ended up bringing to New York, and he'll be bringing it back to Greeley in April. Yay. But Rabbi Saul is here almost every week. Either he's giving a rabbinical reflection, some kind of mini-sermon, on issues in the news, or he'll be interviewing people. And he's talked to some amazing folks over the years, and today is no different. Rabbi Saul will be interviewing Rosalind Kind. She is an actress. She's been on Broadway. She's also been a singer since, wow, the late 1960s. Very talented, and she just happens to be the sister of, oh, another singer you might have heard of. Her name's Barbara Streisand. And she's actually been doing some tour dates with Barbara. And so, I mean, you can't get more Jewish than all of that. So as much as I would like to interview Rosalind Kind, I thought, you know what? This is a job for the rabbi. The rabbi will not only bring out stories of her childhood and life in New York and Queens and Brooklyn, and of course being the sister of Barbara Streisand and, and doing Broadway, etc., but also... The Jewishness of Rosalind Kind. I think 
the rabbi will be able to, to dredge up, in honor of Passover, dredge all of that up to the surface and have a wonderful conversation with Rosalind Kind here in the neighborhood. So that's, that's going to be our show. It's going to be really, really cool, a little bit different. We've got, we got the rabbi talking to Rosalind Kind. We have our Bob Dylan Sooner and Later segment. We'll have Inside Broadway with New York News and Indianapolis Reviews and my trip to Indiana. But before we start with all of that, let's already take a little bit of a venture. We, we can do this by Amtrak, since it's not that far away. A musical trip to Indiana with folks who hail from that particular state, be it Gary, Indiana, or Indianapolis, or other places in the state. We're going to do our Saturday segue of songs that have uh, well, well, that come from Hoosiers, from people who came from the state I just came from. Wow, that, that was awkwardly constructed, but let's hear a beautifully constructed song from... Nora Jones. Now, no, no, she's not, of course, from Indiana, but the guy who wrote this song was... It's not the pale that excites me that thrills and delights me Oh, no It's just the nearness of you It isn't your sweet conversation That brings this sensation It's just the nearness of you When you're in my arms And I feel you So close to me
The gangs close the nations, causing grief in human relations. It's a turf war on a global scale. I'd rather hear both sides of the tale. See, it's not about races, just places, faces. Where your blood comes from is where your space is. I've seen the bright get dark. I'm not gonna spend my life being a color. Do you agree with me when I saw you kicking dirt in my Stocking was looked on as something shocking. Now heaven knows anything goes. Good authors too, who once knew better words, now only use for letter words. Writing prose, anything goes. The world has gone mad. And goods bad today, and blacks white today, and days night today. When most guys today that women prize today are just silly gigolos. So though I'm not a great romancer, I know that you're bound to answer when I propose. Anything goes. In olden days, a glimpse of stocking was looked on as something shocking. Now heaven knows anything goes. And good authors too, who once knew better words, now only use for letter words, write and prose. 'Cause anything goes. World has gone mad today, and goods bad today, and blacks white today, and days night today. When most guys today that women prize today are just silly gigolos. So though I'm not a great romancer, I know that you're bound to answer when I propose. Anything goes. For this record spins to a close. I want you to know anything goes. 
Don't leave 
It was on an Indiana farm In the middle of the country Growing in the fields of grain Jim Dean of Indiana His mother died when he was born His father was a stranger Marcus Winslow took him in Nobody seemed to want him The hired man sang like a storm Sometimes he would beat him Cause he would never do the chore He was lost in dreaming He never seemed to find a place With the flatlands and the farmers So he had to leave one day He said to be an actor Once he come back to the farm With starlets from the stages They locked themselves inside his room The people turned their faces A neighbor run from the movie house Chickens scattered He swore he saw upon the screen Jim Dean of Indiana He played a boy without a home Torn with no tomorrow Reaching out to touch someone a stranger in the shadow The Winslows left for the movie town They drove across the country They hoped that he would stay around And they hoped he would be friendly Talked to them for half an hour He was busy racing He left for the grapevine road They left for Indiana And Marcus heard on the radio That a movie star was dying Turn the tenor way down low So Hortense could go on sleeping It was not until they reached the farm Where the hired man was waiting The wind was silent through the grave It was just 
like they had told him They buried him just down the road A mile from the farmhouse That is where I placed a flower For Jim Dean of Indiana One of the later songs, and uh, one of the prettier ones, from Phil Oakes, Jim Dean of Indiana, from uh, his so-called greatest hits collection. It was kind of a, an intentional misnomer because he, they were not his greatest hits. It was a brand new album of new material, but at that point his career, you know, and his sales were not in the figures that they had been. Not that he was ever a big superstar, but even then, you know, he had, he had left. Electra Records, and now he was on A and M, and you know he he was going through a lot of mental difficulties. So just the idea of calling his new album "Greatest Hits" was sort of bitterly ironic. And yeah, that, that, that's that's probably a song that could go on a real Greatest Hits album of Phil Oakes, Jim Dean of Indiana. Kind of a kind of a downer song to end that particular uh, Saturday segue with, but well. You know, I, I couldn't think of anywhere else in the set to put the song, and I wanted to hear it. So it was an Indiana Saturday segue. Let me explain as I uh, move away from the echo that's out in the hallway. Um, I went to Indiana last weekend, as I mentioned, about 20, 25 minutes ago. And so I thought, to start things off, I would play a bunch of songs that are either about Indiana, mention the state, or that are sung or written by people who emerged from Indiana. And so, in our Saturday segue this morning, we started up top with Nora Jones, who is, of course, the daughter of the late Ravi Shankar, who was definitely not from Indiana. However, the song she sang, The Nearness of You, was by Hoagy Carmichael, who is, of course, a native Hoosier. As a matter of fact, one of the things that uh, my wife and I were able to do when we were part of that conference that was in Indianapolis last weekend was we were brought, of all places, <laughs> to a, something called the Columbia Club. And at first, my wife was really excited. She was like, oh, my God, that's, that's my alma mater. She got one of her degrees there. And it had nothing to do with Columbia University. In fact, what it had to do was about rich Republicans and conservatives who use this gorgeous building for parties and their clubbing. And it's almost, it feels like a place that hoity-toity universities like Yale or Columbia, and I guess NYU too, would have for alumni when they came in. So they would have special dinners and gatherings, and then there'd be apartments maybe for people to stay if they were in town. So uh, that's what we thought. But no, it was just a place literally... Um, I guess founded by Benjamin Harrison, the uh, president, who was a Hoosier himself. And so he is a tribute to him there. And it's, it's this wonderful place for rich people to hobnob. But it's also a cabaret place sometimes. And we were there. We heard um, a singer and a little bit of a, a jazz combo while we had cheese and snacks and stuff like that. And the cool thing is that the combo was using the piano played by Hoagy Carmichael. 
pretty pretty neat stuff. I mean, I, I imagine it's not the only piano that's ever played by by Hoagie Carmichael. You know, because I, I saw, I'll mention in a little bit, a guitar exhibit at a museum there. And it was like, well, this is so-and-so's guitar, and this guitar was played by so-and-so. And, I mean, it's exciting, it's amazing, and then you figure, well, over the course of their careers, they probably played about 800 different guitars. Any guitar that they picked up for one song, you know, the, uh, they're doing an encore and some kid in the audience hands him his guitar to play on and maybe sign. Suddenly, oh, wow, <laughs> that's, that's Tom Petty's guitar. But still, still, it is kind of cool. And to see the one that Hoagie used for various things is kind of neat. So we heard the Hoagie Carmichael song, The Nearness of You. That was followed by John Hyatt, speaking of guitars, playing perfectly good guitar. John Hyatt, also a Hoosier. Frank Sinatra, not a Hoosier. Of course, he's Jersey's own. But he sang Anything Goes by Cole Porter, who was really the favorite son of Indiana. He was born in Peru, Indiana. And we'll, I'll be telling you a bit more about him. Well, I, I guess I'll tell you now. <laughs> One of the other things that we did on our trip was we went to a place that um, in in sort of the uh, the state center where you got uh, forgive me for forgetting the actual names of some of these places but it was uh, a room and a place dedicated and modeled after the life and the the, the style of Cole Porter. So, of course, it's this nice room with a piano and with you know, calla lilies on the shelves and pictures from his career and his his Tony Award, which was pretty exciting, his actual Tony Award for Cole Porter. But the, the thing that always gets people about him is he was the picture, of course, of sophisticated wit and wordplay, like he and Noel Coward. And, you know, you see him with the slick back hair and, and being very demonair and, and cocktail parties and places like that. And that's what you think of him, swilling with the swells of Madison Avenue and Manhattan and, and that sort of thing. While at the same time, the thing that we kind of forget about him is that, yeah, he was born in a little Peru, Indiana. And in his backyard, or, or near it, was a traveling circus and zoo where they kept all these animals. He used to look out his window and see elephants when he was a kid, which is pretty amazing. And then when he was in his middle age, he suffered a horse riding accident and was you know, injured for life. He was in pain for the rest of his years, couldn't really walk, couldn't really get around. So he was housebound for, I guess, the last 25 years of his life or so. So again, uh, the picture of Cole Porter being... Everywhere at once, you know, riding the horse and being the, the jockey and sharing cocktails with Lady Astor or what have you. That's, that's only a little part, really, of who he was, which is why Cole Porter could write fabulous songs like Anything Goes from that musical. But he also wrote Give Me Land, Lots of Land, Under the Starry Skies Above, Don't Fence Me In. Well, you know, it's a cowboy song written by the same dude. So pretty neat stuff there, and and pretty great pay tribute, pay tribute, excuse me, to Cole Porter right in his hometown in Indianapolis. We also had well, or Indiana, I should say. We then heard Gary Indiana, Gary Indiana, Gary Indiana from Music Man, the original Broadway production of that show featuring Eddie Hodges, and we're going to hear a little bit more 
of the Music Man later for another reason, which I will get to. Then, um, what else did we play? We played, um, our, oh, well, of course, Ardeen Taylor, the ultimate Indiana song. Indiana wants me. It's the one that starts with that siren. Not a lot of happy Indiana songs, actually. I mean, if you take away um, Gary Indiana, of course, from Music Man, you know, you've got Ardeen Taylor's song, um, Indiana Wants Me, about this guy getting arrested. And then, of course, at the end of that set, we heard Phil Oaks doing Jim Dean of Indiana, which, which does not end well. <laughs> and we also heard, actually, a very, very beautiful, one of my very favorite Tom Waits songs called Take Me Home. That's Crystal Gale doing the song, because Waits wasn't born in Indiana, but Crystal Gale was, and she is the woman who introduced that song to most of us. It was on the soundtrack album to the movie One from the Heart, and some of the songs they did as duets, some Tom Waits did solo. He gave her that number solo, although if you go on YouTube, you can find a couple of versions of him doing it that are even more profoundly beautiful. It's just one of the greatest songs ever written. Take Me Home. And, um, yeah, well, I felt, I felt at home in Indiana. It's a pretty neat place. You know, it, it, it's cosmopolitan, of course, and it's got all the, the mall stuff, but it also has its own unique flavor. It's, it's big. There's tons to do. Although, of course, the, the irony that everybody was pointing out was that we took a side trip to Carmel, no, no, not Carmel, Carmel, forgive me, Carmel, Indiana, because that's where the big performing arts center is. They just built the thing a couple of years ago for $126 million, and it's gorgeous. You know, this is lovely, old-style place, and we went there because Indianapolis itself does not have a performing arts center, and this is kind of making them feel a little bad. It's like, why the hell do you have to go out into the suburbs, which I guess was a more than a half hour away to this other town for this beautiful art center when, you know, the big old state capital, and forgive me if I'm forgetting my state capitals, I'm assuming Indianapolis is the capital of Indiana. I don't have time to Google it right now, but, I mean, and they don't. I mean, they have theater and concert halls and all that kind of cool stuff, but you got to go to Carmel to have the really big, exciting art center, which it is. I mean, we walked around that. It's, there's one center where you have certain things, and then across the street, you've got the place where you've got a theater, and then another little theater, and it's pretty... It is quite impressive. You know, any time a city builds something fairly new, we don't know if necessarily all the pipes are working, and if the heat is good, and if the plumbing's all connected, but it sure looks really nice especially when they build it in the old style and they don't over-modernize it. If they try to recreate something old and beautiful, it's going to look new, it's going to look clean, it's going to look you know, fancy and exciting and big ceilings and open spaces, and, um, and that they did. So really cool and really impressed with that. And somewhere in that building, which is also nice, was the, um, what they call the Michael Feinstein Great American Songbook archive, which um, Michael Feinstein, of course, pianist and singer, came to the fore about mm, 25 years ago just doing clubs. He was just a dapper, handsome guy. Ooh, ooh I have a, a phone call. I'm not sure if I can put them, patch them through, but I can I can try. Someone apparently Googled. Hold on. Keep, keep buzzing there. Let's see. I haven't tried using the phone in a while. 
Hold on. Nope, nope, lost you. Try again. Do try again, if you can. We'll appreciate it. Anyway, um, call back, call back. So, um, Indiana, what was I saying? <laughs> yeah, oh, the Michael Feinstein archive of Great American Songs, because that, he, was, he was retro in a very cool and elegant way. He moved to Broadway after doing a lot of cabaret stints and stuff like that. Did a couple of Broadway concert shows, and it was, a, like, ah, hold on, I think we have our other, we have our, we have a caller. Caller, can you hear me? Say, who, who's calling, please? I would not like to identify myself, but I would just like to say in, in the Carmel Performing Arts Center, they need to have more vegan options of food. <laughs> okay. okay. It's going to be tough to tell this story without identifying yourself. Do not identify anyone who ate the vegan food or vegetarian food, nor the person who was the recipient. You've you got to tell the story now. Come on, you got to tell it. you got to tell I, it. I'm going, but I would like you to relay that story because it is a gorgeous, gorgeous building, beautiful quality production Stunning, beautiful setting, apartments, bike paths, gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous. You know, uh, American, uh, what is it, American Songbook? Beautiful, beautiful scholarship program. Just one little question. Yes. The question would be? You relay that. I'm going. Wait, 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 come on, come on. Just let us know. Let us know your thoughts about the mayor. <laughs> I, love, I, I love the mayor. He created a beautiful building. He's <laughs> pro-arts. Yes, but come on. I'm I'm not saying anything. Uh, I'm gonna go. You okay. can relay the story. I will relay the story. Thank you so much for calling. <laughs> Unidentified anonymous caller that I'm married to. Thank you very much. <laughs> See you later. Okay, bye. Bye. Okay. Uh yes, that's that um happened to be married to that particular caller and um love her very much. And yes, the 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 story that happened was we went to see the Michael Feinstein Great American Songbook Archives, which is really, I mean, it's not impressive at this point. It's a storage room where they have boxes of people's sheet music and record albums and, and uh, CDs and just basically compiling stuff to make sure that they have it, to make sure that there's a place in America that honors the writing of people like Hoagy Carmichael and Cole Porter and Sammy Kahn and... and Sammy Fain and all the folks who were writing in Tin Pan Alley and, and from like the the 19 aughts up through the 50s uh, and of course you know, paying lip service Michael Feinstein will say that well there are still great American songs being written dot 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 but then there was a certain golden age of it that they're trying to capture and honor and make sure that they don't lose valuable treasures people's handwritten lyrics when, you know, when they were doing stuff so we went there and then uh, the place was kind enough to serve us a nice dinner of sandwiches. They were catered by a local delicatessen, a, a kosher style, albeit not kosher, deli. So it was great, and they were nice enough to also remember when we were signing up for the conference and picking our options that my wife is a vegetarian. And so while the rest of us were having turkey, there was one vegetarian option that was available, so they made sure to have a sandwich ready for her. What we did not know is that the mayor of Carmel, Indiana, a very fine man, a very thoughtful and visionary man when it comes to the arts, and someone whom 
as he told us, who figures he'll, he'll last just until the Tea Party throws him out. Because <laughs> he's, he's totally Democrat. But nice fella. He, um, he's also a vegetarian, or has been for a few years, for health concerns. And so without really knowing, he grabbed the sandwich. He grabbed the one vegetarian meal that was, that was available, that had been sent forth, that had been put aside for my darling wife. And so, my poor, starving, beloved lady woman wife, <laughs> I gotta remember that, um, asked to sit there, and she's, she's eating the bread off of my sandwich. I'm eating the turkey, and there's, she's eating bread with mayonnaise and potato chips. And, and my poor, poor tortured creature had to survive on that for dinner, where somewhere in the room, a mayor was eating her food. I just, um, I wept. I was, I was that upset about the, uh, the whole incident. It was just, just, just terrible. Anyway, <laughs> how did we get off on all that? Well, we're just talking about Indiana and the Indiana Segway. And in a little while, I'm going to be talking about the shows, the theater that I saw in Indiana. But let's just talk about the, um, the place itself a little bit more since I'm, I was there and wanted to tell you about it. I took a uh, Frontier jet plane to Indiana, which the flight itself was fine. You know, you don't get snacks on Frontier. You, you're lucky. You don't even get a can of beverage. They pour it for you. You don't get much on Frontier because it's a so-called commuter flight. And the one thing was, we were excited, we wanted to leave town, we were ready for a nice working vacation, as it were. So, we're sitting on the plane, everything's on time, we're ready to go, and then you get the, uh, the, the flight attendant, or the, the captain speaking and saying, yeah, we've got a little delay, and it's just going to be about 10-15 minutes. You know when they say that, <laughs> you, you know. Your intro. There was even a whole 30 Rock episode about that, where when they tell you there's going to be a half hour delay, it means it's going to be an hour and a half. It's they, they don't want to get you angry immediately. They don't want to just drag you along on a low simmering boil. So they, you know, because if you say we're going to have a three hour delay, everybody's suddenly going to be up in arms. So they tell you, ah, 10, 15 minutes, another 10, 15 minutes. Well, the, the great part, the, the wonderful part that makes it a story is that it wasn't about the weather, and it wasn't so cold that there was a de-icing problem, and it wasn't that there was a congestion thing on the runways. No. What happened to this frontier plane that we were on was that when they were loading up... <laughs> and, and, and you know what kills me is that the, the damn thing, they don't even serve snacks. They just serve beverages, although they have food available for purchase. I don't think anybody purchased it. But it's available if you want it. JetBlue kind of does the same thing, only that you get snacks on that one. So we are told at some point in the loading process of the airplane, the guy driving the food truck rammed into the back of the plane <laughs> and scratched it. He made scratches on the tail. I don't know if it's the wing or just the tail of the plane with his little food truck carrying food that none of us were going to buy or eat. And yet, they have to have it on the plane and make it available. And so, that, in order for them to check the scratch, touch up the scratch, repaint the scratch, 
what was an on-time flight ended up being two hours late. And um, but I will say, I mean, I've, I've got to give credit where credit is due to the, the FAA because they made a thing, right? They made um, uh, this this law a couple of years ago because there was this plane and it was delayed for whatever it was it the icing thing or, or some other reasons. And it was delayed, it was delayed. And it was on the ground, right? It wasn't late in the air. It was sitting on the ground, sitting on the tarmac about 200 feet from the gate. And it sat there for over four hours. And people were just going nuts, you know. Because, I mean, it's one of those layers. I sit there a little while, sit there. But it was just going on and on, and maybe they got some water, maybe they got a, a little bit of soda or something. I mean, it was just like, let us off the plane. You know, we're right, you know, we're 100 feet away. We can go into the airport, we can go sit in a restaurant, we can change planes or something, we can do something else with our lives. You're making us sit here for before the, the flight even starts? What the hell is wrong with you? And I think the law forced the FAA to change their rules. So now you really can't keep people sitting on the ground for more than an hour. Or else you've got to um, you've got to take them off the plane. You've either got to fly or you've got to get the folks off the plane and then get them back on and put them on a new plane. So that's, that is what they did. We sat for a little over an hour and then boom, 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 everybody off. We all had to take our... our <laughs> I think somebody else has more has more to contribute to this. Um, I wonder who this could be. Hello, caller. Hey, honey. Yeah, yes, hi. The, the, the caller calls me honey. That, that's kind of nice. What you're forgetting... What am I forgetting here? Is that they had a... Not get a mechanic. They had several mechanics. But the reason we waited is because there's one who's licensed to measure the depth of the scratch... Yeah. In, the, in the metal. So we had to wait for a special mechanic <laughs> who has the license and has the ability by the FAA to measure and grade the scratch. Which and, yeah. by the way, the theme of that trip? Right. Food. I don't get it. The food truck begins the trip by heading into the plane, <laughs> right. and then we go to a beautiful event, and the food gets switched. <laughs> the thing. I'm going to go. And, and, and I, by the way, all the passengers on that plane that we were on yeah. were incredibly upset that the mayor took your sandwich. They didn't know. They were crying. They knew before it even happened. They, they were whispering to me, saying, the mayor's going to take your wife's sandwich. No, they probably said your wife should have bought something and taken it with her. <laughs> I'm going. Well, thank you. Thank you for, for, for... Do you want to stay on and talk a little bit about Indiana as long as you're, you're here? No, I really liked it. It was a beautiful city, and I had a really, really good time. I wish we could have stayed longer. Me too. What was your favorite part? Well, yeah, what were one or two? Um, well, I liked the cabaret stuff, but that was expected. Okay, good. But I think the most unexpected, and I love the whipping, whipping man. I thought that was terrific. But that's a big stage. I think the most unexpected fun part for me was the um, was the. Um, what was the 12th night that was done in the 1920s, 30s style? Because I like that era. The theater stuff. What about what about the non-theater stuff? Like just the, the city itself or some of the stuff? The, uh... It just feels like it's really reviving. There's a really good downtown. The hotel is really funky. I think it's it, it was like I think it's fun for young people. Cool. Cool. Yeah. I mean, I got I got that vibe too. I really really enjoyed the city. You know, once we finally got there two hours late. I did. <laughs> I did indeed. 
Edwin, you tell your story. Okay, well, yeah, okay, and, and, and today have a vegetarian sandwich on me, okay? Okay. Okay. Love you, babe. Love you, bye. Bye. That was, of course, the, uh, the anonymous caller again. <laughs> and, and thank her so much for, uh, for calling into the show and augmenting the, the things that I forgot about this particular trip. And uh, by the way, it's 11.01. So I'll let you know that, too. It's 11.01 in the morning, mountain time, here at the University of Northern Colorado. You're listening to Dave's Gone By. Three hours of humor, talk, music, interviews, all sorts of stuff. Interview coming up very shortly with... Um, Actress and singer Rosalind Kind. She's been uh, a noted cabaret performer, a Broadway actress for a couple of decades. And, of course, she is the sister of You Know Who. So she'll be talking to Rabbi Sal Solomon. Also, we'll have our Bob Dylan Sooner and Later segment coming up with songs from all different times of his career. And what else? Well, that's that, that kind of enough, uh, isn't it? For, <laughs> for a show. Oh, and Inside Broadway, where, where my wife just mentioned a couple of the shows that we saw in Indiana. That, that'll, that'll come after the interview, but let's see if there's any other thing. Oh, we, we went, we stayed when we did get to Indianapolis. We stayed in a new hotel. Probably the first time I've ever actually done that. We stayed in a hotel that has only been open for a few weeks. It's called the Alexander Hotel. Um, kind of just a little bit off to the side of downtown, but, but still pretty accessible to all the major areas. Really nice, really into art. They, they take art very seriously at this hotel. It isn't just that, okay, you know, there's a, there's a nice picture in your room and another picture hanging over the bathroom toilet and maybe one other piece of art in the hallways and, and stuff. No, this is a place that takes current artists... Real serious, and some of the uh, the hallways and the downstairs are almost set up like galleries with information about the paintings. And the, the paintings are not just you know landscapes and watercolors and things like that. I mean, there was a a marvelous um, mixed media piece down in the lobby area of a an African American woman who, in the early teens, I think it was of, of the last century, started a an empire, a beauty empire, uh, just just you know because she was dealing with black women with black hair, and back then I mean there, there was no products, there was no HLN to go buy things on or you know, Bobby Brown whatever the heck. So so she was like she started doing the combing and the cutting and the the trying to make the black women feel more cosmetically beautiful, and so. She built this into a million-dollar empire in the, in the time, of course, when you know, there was still incredible racism. And, and it was amazing that she was doing it. Um, I'm not sure if this is the same woman who also invented sort of that hot comb, styling comb, to make black women's hair more straight and less Afro and African-American and black. And so there's a certain racism issue in that. I don't know if it's the same lady or if this is someone else who started this beauty empire. What I do know is that they made this artwork of her face entirely out of combs. You know, regular, non-electric, just basic combs with some of their, their bristles out and some in. And it, I, I was impressed all the heck. There was another um, artwork there that was kind of cool. It was words that was against a wall. And if you looked at it, you just sort of figured, okay, the um, you've got these red letters 
They're, and it's three-dimensional, so the, the letters are standing apart from the wall. And the red letters, and then the, the wall is actually a mirror. So it's red against silver. And you have to actually get close to realize that it's, no, it's the wall that's red. And the actual words are cut out in reflective silver. So those are the mirror. Uh, you have to see it. To, to, to just describe it doesn't really do it justice. And they have all sorts of stuff like that all over the hotel. Not just in the lobby, but in the, the uh, floors. You know, the walls of when you're going to your room has that. And there, there's cool artwork in the rooms, too. I'm, I'm very impressive. It's a European-ish, boutique-y kind of hotel. The <laughs> And I know my wife's going to call in about this. The, 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 one, the one little problem with this hotel, which had really nice staff, and in the mornings you can get free coffee downstairs, more on that and on, and, and also they, they, one of these places now that's so hoity-toity, you can get water, they've got you know, ice water in the lobby, and they put stuff in it, like grapefruits, to flavor it gently. And then they had tarragon water, which, okay, it's water with tarragon in it. Interesting, mint, fine, oranges sometimes. I like, I like. The thing is, sometimes my wife likes a nice cup of coffee in the morning. And I'm not saying just when she goes down to breakfast or makes breakfast. I mean, sometimes when you're in a hotel, first thing she wants in the morning is a little pick-me-up, a little something, a little hot coffee, fine. Well, there's these brand new, beautiful, sleek coffee makers that they have in all the rooms. They kind of look like penguins. There are these, these metallic things with a little black penguin nose spout that you apparently can use kind of like a, a Keurig thingy. You, you plug it in, you turn it on, it heats up in about a minute or two, and then you take the little packet the, the, the thing, and you, you push it down through the open slot. You push down the top of it. Oh, and, of course, you fill the reservoir with water, and boom, voila. Supposed to make not only, my friends, not only coffee, but espresso as well. You can push one button for really, really strong coffee and one button for basic. Ra- ah, I knew it. I knew it should be calling. I knew it. I knew it. Okay. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, the special caller is called back. Oh, caller, you're on the air. Um, there were two water issues. <laughs> yes. One was the fact that. Um, we couldn't get the coffee maker to work despite engineering's help. And the second one was that they were also beta testing the shower. So we had a new shower head, too. Yeah, that was, well, well, thanks for, like, sort of jumping on my coffee story. I was dragging it out. I was making, like, a real long story. Now you're saying, oh, it didn't work. Jeez, babe, add to that. Tell the story. Well, you would, uh, now, um, I'm, we are both very um, familiar with coffee makers. <laughs> and, um... Apparently, you put a pot in, and then it's supposed to run water through it, you know, like the Keurig. But the little pod drops too soon, and you end up getting hot water. Yeah, you push the button. You push the little canister in. Down it goes, and you close the top, and supposedly coffee should be brewing. Instead, what you're just getting is a cup of hot water. Meanwhile, the, the canister is stuck somewhere in this limbo inside the machine. And you can't overturn it and get it. It's just, it's just in there somewhere. I think elves take it. <laughs> and so the, the, you know the underpants elves from South Park? They've yeah. become coffee canister elves. So, yeah, and I tried this. Like, we have four, we have two um, regular and two decaf of these little 
cylinders, these canisters. And I swear to God, I pushed one in, and another one in. There was like four different canisters that I was pushing into, the t- into this coffee maker. And it still just shot out water. And then remember the guy said that um, someone else left someone a note saying that the water exploded? <laughs> in, in the coffee maker, right? Well, the, the incredibly hilarious thing for me, besides all that, and besides the fact that every day we would complain about the coffee maker, and every day they would just leave us a note saying sorry, and mm-hmm. we'll have an engineer look at it, or the engineer fixed it, <laughs> and it was never fixed, it never worked properly. No, it didn't. But the beautiful, do you remember this also? Do you remember the, um, well, you're a girl, you probably didn't have this, but, but in the 1970s and 60s, maybe Coleco, I, I don't know the brand, they made a football game. It was a home football game. My dad had this. Yeah. And what you would do is you would plug it in, and you would put, like, the pieces, sort of like chess pieces, except they were the football teams of your choice. So you can have, like, the Jets versus the Dolphins, right? Yeah. So then you have these little players that representing the New York Jets on one side, and players representing the, the Dolphins on the other side. And you'd line them up on this metallic board, and then you would plug the board in, and it would start to rumble. And oh, rattle. It, yeah. You ever see that? And then they, they would sort of go towards each other, and if you were lucky, you know, that your quarterback or whoever had the ball would go all the way down into the end zone. If not, he'd get hung up or, or fall over, or whatever the, the rumbling of this machine would make him do. Well... Do you remember this? There was one point when I was at least trying to get you a cup of hot tea because um, we couldn't make coffee. So we poured the water in the canister of this coffee maker, and I put the cup down. And, oh, yeah. And I put the thing on, and I, I walk away to do something else. And then I hear the thing rumbling. And no, and I remember telling you, honey, the cup's moving. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, so not only doesn't this make coffee, this damned machine, but the... Um, the, the cup actually starts vibrating on the canister, so that if you walk away from it, it will eventually fall off and tip over, <laughs> spilling presumably coffee everywhere. But at least in this game, just hot, scalding water. Do you think? Do you yeah. think the coffee maker didn't want to work for Americans because because it was a European style coffee maker? I, no, I don't know what. It was. I mean, remember the first time we complained about it? I went down to the, uh, the lobby and I said. You know, and, and the first thing they tell you is, well, did you follow all the directions? Because they give you a card of directions of exactly how to make the coffee. We know how to do that. Yeah. And then I said, yes, yes. We actually followed them to the letter because you tried once, and then I tried following step by step. And still the damn thing was, was useless. It was absolutely bright. I was like, yes, we followed all the instructions. Do you, you have a, a Joe DiMaggio? <laughs> do you have a Melita? Yeah, Proctor Silex. It's fine. And they're like, no. And this is, this is the stupidness of corporate think. What did they tell us? They're beta testing them, no? Well, that was a, they were beta testing. They, they wanted to see how they were working, and, and you know, they liked them, etc. So, meanwhile, the staff, the people who run the hotel, the, the maids, the, the guys at the front desk, the women at the front, you know, they are getting already complaints from the <laughs> users, right? They're from, from the clients, us, the people who stay in the hotel. And they're begging the thing, don't, you know, don't jump to, people don't like this. They're, they're not using it right, it's broken, they're having problems with it, it's a pain, da, 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 don't do it. What did they do? What? The, the hotel went out and bought 4,000 of them. Wow. It's like before, before the beta, the beta testing is supposed to be the time 
when you're figuring out whether to buy 4,000 of them. Yeah. But no, some, some genius from Europe said, oh, oh, no, it's, it's beautiful. It, it, it goes with the room. We must have this kind of cookie maker. Oh, mention the lights, honey. The what? The lights. Oh, I thought you said lice. Thank God, no, there were no lice or bed bugs. No lights. What, what about the lights? How did you turn the lights on? Oh, this is, this is all so stupid. I, I, I guess it's... No, it's, but that's done in Europe very much. Well, why don't you explain them? It's an energy-saving feature where you have to put your key card in the lights. Yeah, in other words, if you walk into the room and you don't put your hotel room uh, card, you know, the, the key, into the slot, the lights won't go on. You have to keep it in there and leave it in there in order to use the lights in the room. And I, I, I guess so that's like lights don't stay on. Let's say somebody checks out at 8 o'clock. Exactly. And you know, the maid doesn't get there until 11.30, and so people leave lights on for no reason. It uses energy for no reason. I mean, I kind of get that, but I don't know. I, I mean, I, I don't know. Maybe it is a good idea. And also, you always know where your key is. Mm-hmm. Once you're in the room, you, all, you, know, you don't go through that thing of, did I leave it under the clothing? Did I put it in the nightstand? Is it in my wallet? Oh, no. You, you always know, oh, it's got to be there. I don't know. Maybe, that's, maybe there's something to be said for that. Did you talk about the fancy breakfast? You've been listening to the show. I have not. Why don't you mention the fancy breakfast? No, you breakfast? talk about it. No, you do. You, you talk do. about it. Well, it was a nice fancy... I mean, there's nothing terribly interesting about it, except it was a nice buffet that was a part of our, um, our room rate. You know, the, the buffet was included. And we've been to some places where they include a buffet breakfast, and it's kind of like, you know, yeah. shriveled old sausage with like, scrambled eggs that were made three days ago, and, you know, bleh. And then sometimes they're, they're better than that. But this particular place had a nice buffet breakfast. I've got to say, that was, a, that was a nice and worthwhile spread. And not only that, they were really, really super nice, because what did they have? Do you remember? What? Uh, oh, um, what, was, what cool thing did they have that you're really not supposed to have until lunch, but the women were, were sometimes nice enough to say, oh, well, sure. I don't know, for, uh, the fruit? I don't know. No, they had a gelato bar. Oh, yes. There was a gelato bar, gelato bar, the breakfast buffet, and, and you know during weekend brunch you're kind of allowed to have that as part of the uh, the thing. But I asked about it, and they said, "Oh, sure, we'll, we'll give you a scoop." It was good, you know, gelato for breakfast doesn't get better than that, folks. Omelets. Yeah, but that's how you hurt yourself. Huh? Oh, uh, yeah, well, yes. <laughs> Yes, my wife is bringing up all these embarrassing stories of her, her, her beloved husband of what I told you all about a few weeks ago. God, back in the beginning of the year when I hurt my finger when I was trying to eat gelato. <laughs> I know, that sounds more idiotic than it actually... Well, no, it was idiotic. The phone rang. I got nervous. My hand, like, caught in the button of my pajamas while I was, you know, holding gelato with the other hand. And that little thing tore a tendon. Off the bone of my... I don't, I, don't, I, don't I want to think about it. I want to thank Dr. Young for being a wonderful doctor and, and telling me and, and helping me heal with a splint. And, and I got my splint off just a couple of days ago. Maybe was, you should bring her some gelato or give her a good coffee maker. <laughs> <laughs> I would not torture this fine and friendly doctor with, uh, bringing, by bringing her a coffee maker. From from your you know the, the penguin Listen, coffee. Maybe she could fix it with her surgical powers. She might have to do some surgery. You know, I I wonder. 
I mean, well, the sprout is kind of like a finger. Yeah. That little, little black finger coming out. Yeah. I don't know. Silver. Some, Silver. Some, somehow I, I don't think I would do that to her. Um, if she had not healed me properly. <laughs> you know, if I became a cripple, I, I, then I would get her ten coffee makers. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. I'm vindictive that way. So, anything else you remember about the hotel or downtown Indianapolis or any of that, hun? No, I'm going to go. I talked enough. I'm sorry. No, no, no. no. It, 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 it's so much better when I can, can talk with someone than me just rattling on. You know, it's, it's so good to just have a real conversation because uh, it brings up things did I you, forget. Did you talk about the Idol Jeweler again, the art museum? No, I was going to oh, get to that. Tell them about the art museum with the kids with the straws. Well, why don't you? Because they're no. mentioning it. Tell them. No, tell you us tell the story. You're more funny. Uh, well, uh, I try, babe. All right. Well, thank you, love, for calling in. Tell them the story about the art balloon performance, too. It wasn't much of a... Okay, I will. I will. Okay, babe. I shall. Thank you, babe. Okay. Love you. Okay. That was our anonymous caller here to Dave's Gone By on UNC Radio. And yeah, moving away from the plane flight in the hotel to the actual city, um, we went to, as I said, the Indiana, Indiana History Center. That was what the place was called. That had the Cole Porter Room. There was also... Um, we did get to the Kurt Vonnegut Museum. Well, it's not really a museum. It's a library. And I was thinking, what, what would that be? And it's just this little storefront where it's mostly devoted to the fact that favorite son, Kurt Vonnegut, who wrote Cat's Cradle and Mother Night and, of course, Slaughterhouse-Five, he was born and bred in Indiana. It had two different interesting artifacts. One, it recreated with all new I mean, stuff from the era, his writing space including uh, the type of model typewriter that he used, uh, you know, his chair, some stuff on his shelves, the books, etc. And so that, that was kind of neat. And then nearby, they did have his actual typewriter, you know, the, the, the one that I guess he wrote some of his greatest books on. And again, maybe it's like the Hoagie Carmichael piano. For all we know, he wrote on a dozen different typewriters over the years, and when he was traveling he typed somewhere else but this was his home room typewriter and they have it under glass and it's way cool they also have pictures and artifacts of his life especially during the war years i mean obviously the war affected him as a person and in his writing it was the one great event great obviously in ironic quotation marks event of his life and what was there's a letter there that was written to him by his dad. I'm, I'm sorry if I'm misremembering this, but and it was never opened. He, he never got it, and it's still never been opened for um, some reason. They've just left it sealed and addressed to him. So that, that's kind of interesting. And then they, um, the other main thing is they did a reading there of his only play, to my knowledge. He did Happy Birthday, Wanda June, which is kind of this look... Very, very sort of late 60s look at hippies and, and flowers sort of thinking versus the old guard of white American war is good, you know, brutality is good and necessary and blah, blah, blah. And you've got you know, that going up against each other. And it was, yeah, it's an okay play. <laughs> it it's, has its moments. It has its lines. Uh, the reading was passable, I guess. But it was just kind of nice to be in the Vonnegut space there, because I, I used to be a huge Vonnegut fan. I still 
love a lot of his work. I recently read, uh, they, they, it's kind of cool, they put out his very, very first story and his very, very last in the same volume. And his verse story was really, really good. It was never sent it away, never got published by anybody, but I think it could have been. And it's a really typical story story. It's not even in the Vonnegut style yet so much. It's just this simple thing of a kid who goes to live with relatives, but he you know, gets involved with a kind of a crazy guy who also lives there, and then they go off and have some serious and scary adventures, and then he comes back. I mean, it's, it's, it's good. It's, it reads fast, and it really grips you. And then the second bit is from a novel that he never finished, something that he was working on about a stand-up comedian and um, his thoughts on the world. And he becomes incredibly famous, but he's, he's miserable and blah, blah, blah. And it's just, there's nothing there yet. It's, it's basically ranting for page after page. And for a stand-up comedian, he's not funny at all, which I don't know if Vonnegut realizes that. If, if he intentionally made the comedian unfunny, or if he thinks the comedian is funny, and the reader's saying, no, guy's not. So, I don't know if Vonnegut lost it towards the end of his stuff, or if he just, this was, wasn't supposed to see the light of day yet, and he would have organized that into something that really was a better book. But anywho, saw that. The Vonnegut Library went to um, the Indiana Art Museum, which I, I really like that museum. My goodness. I mean, it's just so nicely laid out. It isn't overstuffed with stuff. They've got real quality American painting uh, that they have. They're also um, the usual museum stuff. I mean, the, the European and the Impressionists and the Post-Impressionists. And they've got the other wings that I didn't bother to look in on because we didn't have that much time. And they had an art performance. One of the reasons we wanted to go was there was supposed to be an art performance of a woman in a balloon uh, doing stuff because, you know, it's modern performance art. And so because we basically had a blizzard that day, last blizzard of the season, one presumes, they moved the art project indoors. And so right on the ground floor, you just had these people with a, a... Balloon. It was more like a sleeping bag, really, that inflated partway and then deflated and inflated and deflated. And then people just walking around it in odd ways and odd costumes. And while this was happening, children were encouraged to participate. Everyone was there. By, they were given straws, drinking straws, and they were kind of curved and meant to be used as kazoos. So while you're wandering around the museum trying to look at great works of art, from this century, I mean, there was a, there was a Rembrandt self-portrait there. I mean, there were some major pieces there. In the background, you're hearing... I mean, very... I assume that was all supposed to be going on outside, but... Hmm. <clears throat> very... Pardon me. I sort of a weird, weird kind of uh, situation there. But fun. And kind of what a museum ought to be if it doesn't want to just sit there dead and lifeless and have people kind of walk in and walk out. You know, you, you do want to be a little bit more interactive. However, kazoo straws may not be the best idea to get people involved in their local museum. I don't know. Anyway, you know, they had William Merritt Chase and they had O'Keefe and they had some really, really dug the museum. And then was able to go to two other museums during the um, during our stay at the um, 
in Indiana. We went to the State Museum, which was kind of cool. It was. Um, I'm trying to remember. I really don't remember much about it at all. And I'm talking. This is only like five days since I've been there. And I think there was a piece by the Love guy, the guy who designed that L O V E that we most know from Philadelphia, but it was actually done in Indiana. Well, you know, he had another thing hanging there, but what's um maybe it'll come to me. I do remember the Idol Jork Museum. That was that was way cool. Cause they had a special exhibit it's still going on there for a couple of weeks, of guitars, as I mentioned before. These were um the history of the guitar and the electric guitar and also guitars that belonged to major figures. I'm I'm trying to just see my notes here. Um I'm not Seeing where they are. Well, anyway, so it would be everyone from, like, there, w- there was a guitar that, um, I don't know if there was a Clapton guitar, but they had one that George Harrison played at one point. Which, you know, just just, just walking by that, just looking at it and, and knowing George Harrison played this, right? Maybe not when he was a member of the Beatles, but years later or in his home, this was in his his... Among the guitars that he play, uh, yes, it's another phone call, ladies and gentlemen. I wonder who this could be. Who could Wait, this be? Weiwei. Yeah, oh, they have the I Weiwei exhibit. Was that at the um, was that at the State Museum or at the uh, the Museum of Art? That was at the I don't know. That's right. Museum of Art. They had I Weiwei's crab thing, where he had all these little crabs and the donkeys. Right, okay. Oh, you are remembering more than I am. Cool. And the one exhibit where we thought it was the, the handkerchief was on the floor, but the lady said it broke? Oh, yeah, it was a, a, a an installation. Or no, it just there's an artwork that had all these kerchiefs, handkerchiefs, that were stapled to the wall in various forms. And there was also, there was just one lone kerchief on the floor. And I stood there for like, you know, half a minute and was like, wait a minute, is this... Is it supposed to be? Is this part of the art thing where it's sort of outside? It's an outlier? Or did this accidentally fall on the floor where someone pulled it down off the wall and they need to call a guard and say, oops, there's a problem? And the guard said, no, it was supposed to be on the wall. It fell. Oh, and you well. know who I believe that was? Who could that have been? Was it mayor? I <laughs> know. No, I believe it was one of the children with the straws. They were doing it. I wouldn't be surprised. So, Did you remember the thing that was the graphite art that made that weird sound? No. What was that? The graphite art exhibit. You could run your hands along and it was like, like that. Where was that? I don't remember that at all. There was a graphite water fountain and everything was made of graphite. I missed that. No, you didn't because you told one of the critics about it and he said, I've seen a better graphite exhibit. Huh. Huh. I, I'm, I'm totally blanking on that. I'm sorry. Huh. So, and, and, and um, let's see. We actually, the day that we went to the, the Indianapolis Museum of Art, though, mm-hmm. where they had the thing, it wasn't the snowstorm day. Why did they move the, the, uh, the thing inside? Because it was the next day that we had the storm. No, I think they were predicting it. All right. Okay, but it was supposed to snow. That's right. So and talk, it, yeah, yeah. talk about the love controversy. Oh, well, uh, yeah, I think I just mentioned that, that um, the guy, the artist who designed that L-O-V-E thing, Philadelphia claims he did it there first. Indiana says, no, they did it here. And they've really been going back and forth on that. Indiana really wants to claim, um, what's the word? 
and wants the ownership of that particular piece of art. But, Hun, what do you remember about the State Museum? Which was just a State Museum. Remember on our last day, on that Monday, when it was snowing? Oh, it was the one where we went. It was at the Idol Jorg. Well, that was the second one. Oh, we saw the James Dean, remember? And then we saw... Yes! Oh, What right. was the other thing? There was James Dean and something else that you found. Abraham Lincoln. Yes. That's right, that's right. Abraham Lincoln, they have a whole big... Why was, was he... He was in Illinois, wasn't he? Why, why did they have the Lincoln thing in the Indiana Museum? I think he spent, he spent some of his formative years. Abe Lincoln, I think, grew up in Indiana for some point. I think you're right. It shows you just how, how educational museums are. Yeah. <laughs> the most important thing about Abe Lincoln... I've totally forgotten. It's like, why would they do that? Oh, yeah. Well, the genealogy. They showed the genealogy, and they talked about his family, and then they did a lot of James Dean stuff, too. He was Indiana. That's right. And the James Dean exhibit was way cool. They had uh, a lot of pictures of him from different stuff, from, from when he was a little kid. Uh, and the right? commercial. They had the driving commercial that he made about driving safely and not speeding two weeks before he was killed. Exactly. Right? The great irony. Of yeah. course. In fact, I think he was stopped on the day, you know, and then he got it like a ticket or something. He did. And then a few hours later, he was dead in a car crash. I mean, it's like, hello, mm. you know. But, wow. um, you know, the, the Dean exhibit was way cool, I have to say, because um, Dean is cool. He just was. And oh, yeah. He also, I think they had a radio that he built or something. He was, was No, doing. you're thinking they had a whole other thing about... Um, Technology and all that—that that was different. Oh, okay. Cool. Oh, yeah. Well, as usual, state museums—they have timeline things. Of this happened then, and this was this, and here was the Ku Klux Klan in Indiana for a while. You know, blah blah blah. You know, that was scary. State stuff. Yeah. Well, I mean, they weren't actually physically there. It was just an exhibit. Well, the lady was really nice. She told us what to look for. She said James Dean and the Lincoln exhibit. Right. Kind of. You know, it's interesting that they were both died in horrible, unexpected ways. Kind of a, th- yeah. a theme for that museum, I guess. Or for and they, well, and they both were rebels. I mean, Lincoln was, uh, in terms of equality for people, he was a rebel. You know, he was a, a out there. And James Dean, although he wasn't really a rebel, he always played very controversial figures in the films, right? Yeah, An outsider, somebody who kind of challenged tradition. So that's a similarity. And you can, from... Every picture that you see of him in that exhibit, you would figure if he had not died in that car crash, and I think it was like 23 or something like yeah. that, he probably would have been dead by his mid-40s from lung cancer. He was always smoking. Yeah, not a photo of him, except when he was like 12. Um, baby photo. <laughs> <laughs> Even in the baby photo, he was smoking a pipe. That's right. Life. His bottle was filled with nicotine. <laughs> That's right. That's right. His, his diaper had a patch. Okay. on. But, um, yeah, thank you, babe. And, and then there was the idol joke. So remind me also, please, I'm so glad I have you on the air to help me with this, of what? some of the other musicians whose guitars were in the idol joke. Oh, um... I Hank Williams, I know You're that. smarter. I think someone from The Grateful Dead. They um, had someone from Guns N' Roses. Right, yeah. They had, um... Did they have the beat, one of the Beatles? Yeah, I said George Harrison. Uh... But well, yeah, you remind me also there was a Hank Williams. Oh guitar, yeah, no Hank Williams Senior, not Junior. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean yeah, that yeah. gave me that gave me sort of the chills. That was like, oh my god, that Hank Williams played. There was a Johnny Cash guitar there. Yeah, Johnny Cash. I was very, I was kind of, you know, kind of impressed also that we had writers in the sky on 
this program about a year or two ago when they were playing in Greeley. And Ranger Doug actually oh, yeah. one of his guitars, because he's a real musicologist and expert on Western music and Western swing. One of Ranger Doug's guitars is really? in this exhibit. Yeah. I was like, oh my God, it's Ranger Doug, man. You know, in this traveling important guitar exhibit. And they did have a Hendrix guitar. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they did. It was broken, right? It was only a piece. Yeah, it was just a piece of the bass. Of the, one of the guitars that he smashed. Oh, and Kurt Cobain. Over. They had Nirvana. They did. They did have a, a Nirvana guitar. Was it Cobain or Grohl or, or who's another I, It was Cobain wow. because it was beat up, and they said that he was uh, infamous for throwing it, you know, into the speakers. And the, the, the thin part, the bottom parts were all, like, missing paint. Wow. Well, and also, wasn't there a chipped tooth of Courtney on there? No. Oh, uh, <laughs> no. Just teasing. But, yeah, it's a, it's a neat exhibit. If you're in Indianapolis and you get to go to the Isle of George, just seeing some of these guitars owned by some of these people, and plus they have, like, guitar history and, and weird, odd 12-string and 24-string, and they're, they're, there's one thing of an oud, or they, at least they mention an oud somewhere. Mm-hmm. It's, it's kind of neat. I, I don't know, is there anybody... Again, that I'm, I'm leaving out that I was excited. Well, you to can see. also play. They had a, two people who were playing guitars there. They had guitars you could play. Remember the guys playing? Yeah, that was that was cool. And That's you cool. can listen to music. They have one station where you can listen. So. Yeah, I mean, it was it was a really neat exhibit, and uh, I don't recall. Maybe again, you can help me here. I don't recall anything else from the Idol George. Well, because it, a lot of it was Native American art, and there was there were a lot of. If you had kids, it would have been really fun because remember we did the basket making. Oh, a yeah. lot of it was interactive. You could build um, like a dwelling. They had a lot of stuff for like, you know, for kids and and to just try stuff. So I thought that was neat. And that was not the State Museum. That was the Idol George. Yeah. Cool. It was where the guitar exhibit was, I think. Yeah. Oh yeah, that that was it. So, cool, cool. Thank you, hon. Thank you. You know, I, I jog in notes, but I didn't really get a chance to look at them the last couple of days. So, you know, it's, it's, it's so much better since you were there to be prompting me and helping me out. I really appreciate So, uh, so cool. Thank you. Thank you, hon. Our trip to Indiana. Indy. 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 Love you, babe. Okay, ciao. Okay, talk to you in a bit. Bye-bye. It is 11.35 in the morning here at the University of Northern Colorado. I'm Dave Lefkowitz. This is Dave's Gone By, our 317th episode. We're running incredibly late, <laughs> as usual. But it is time, well, actually, what it's really time for, and what I should have done a little while ago, is to make sure that you know who the sponsors of this radio show and this radio station are. First of all, this program is brought to you by Hewlett Minuteman Press, the copy kings of Broadway since the 1970s. The Torong family has owned and operated Hewlett Minuteman Press right in the heart of Hewlett, Long Island. It's three blocks from the train station there, just across the street from the Lomans on Broadway in Hewlett. If you tell them Dave sent you, you get 10% off any job, big or small. So, if any copies, binding done, if you have uh, your company logo and you want to put that on a calendar or a golf ball or a pen or a big old flyer or, or a banner. This is the kind of thing that Unit Minuteman Press does, does very well and does a little cheaper if you tell them Dave sent you. So why not give them a call at Unit Minuteman Press 516-569-5577. Area code 516-569-5577. They are the copy kings. 
TotalTheater.com, great website, absolutely free website of theater reviews, articles, and interviews. Just go to TotalTheater.com, click on Criticopia for reviews of Broadway shows, off-Broadway, and all over the country and the world, or click on, and or click on Periodica, and there you'll find interviews and stories about the theater. It's all there in the pages. And actually, a couple of stories from writers who went to Indiana on this theater critics trip that I've been talking about, they posted their stories and their reviews on TotalTheater.com. So go looking for that. Again, Total Theater, spell it any way you want, TotalTheater.com. And Total Theater is the parent company of Performing Arts Insider, the Bible of Broadway since the mid-1940s. This is a hard copy journal that people in the entertainment industry turn to when they want to know all the details of every show playing on, off, off, off Broadway, plus there's chronological listings for cabaret, opera, dance, awards, and special events in New York. So, you know, this is the journal that people who book for TV shows use to know when some actor's going to be in a play on Broadway now or half a year from now. How to contact agents and managers and producers and designers and authors and composers. It's all in the pages of Performing Arts Insider. For more information, go to performingartsinsider.com. Also, I want to give a shout-out to Jeff Goodman, owner and proprietor of Fancy Schmancy Balloons for all your party and decorating needs, or party decorating needs, in the the Tri-State area. 516-799-0012. 516-799-0012. Shouldn't your party be a fancy schmancy affair? Now, as to this fine and wonderful radio station that we are on, UNC Radio. Got to let you know a couple of bands that are coming to town, including the, uh, they're called Radical Something, okay, and they're playing at the Marquee Friday, April 5th at 8 p.m. If you miss this show, you can also check them out at Sigma Chi Derby Days on April 19th. So I guess they're a really local band. You can get tickets via UNC Student Radio or themarqueetheater.com, and that's M-A-R-Q-U-I-S, Marquee Theater, when they eat, oh, the hell with it. Just go to UNC Student Radio and get tickets through us instead. Um, and, oh, oh, this is nice. On Wednesday, March 20, oops, it's over. Oh, well, we, we did have a transgender day of visibility, but <laughs> I guess I didn't see it. It was invisible to me. Anywho, that's our sponsors. We can move on now to the spiritual part of our program, the somewhat quasi-religious part of our program, um, because we're bringing into the neighborhood the one, the only, Rabbi Saul Solomon. He is the spiritual leader of Temple Sons of Bitches in Great Neck, New York, and he's, he's with me here in Colorado. And he'll be talking to an actress, a singer. Um, her name is Rosalind Kind. She's been doing this for many years, very, very well respected, has CDs out. She's done shows on Broadway. She now tours, so, you know, not only by herself, but she's part of a concert tour that's being done by her sister, her sister happens to be someone named Barbara Streisand. Yeah, that Rosalind kind. So 
Without further ado, let us continue this episode of Dave's Gone By by bringing in the rabbi and his talk with Rosalind Kind. You're not going to miss this, folks. This is, this is going to be quite special. Hi, this is Rosalind Kind, actress, singer, entertainer, and you are listening to Dave's Gone By on UNC Radio. program. This is Rabbi Saul Solomon, founder and spiritual leader of Temple Sons of Bitches in Great Neck, New York. And I am thrilled to be bringing some musical Yiddishkeit to this program. Someone who has been a singer and an actress for many years. She's been on, oh, look, look at these credits. She sung at Lincoln Center, at Carnegie Hall, at the Cafe Royal in London. She's been on Broadway, ooh, in a show called Three from Brooklyn. She was in Leader of the Pack Off-Broadway, which has that crazy, kooky kind of rock and roll music and stuff. And she's even, talk about ultimate Jewish sanctifiedness, ladies and gentlemen. She played herself on the nanny. Oh my God. Ladies and gentlemen, we are talking on the telephone to the one, the only, the Jewish, Rosalind Kind. Shalom, Rosalind. Shalom, Rabbi Solomon. How are my husband you there? I'm, I'm good. I'm all right. You know, it's Colorado weather here. I'm in Colorado, not Great Neck at the moment, so the cold gets into your bones. But you're, you're in rain, aren't you? It's, it's a little drizzling here. We're expecting a storm of some kind. I don't know what, but it's awfully gray out there. Dark, you know, 
hanging over the skies, yeah, the buildings. Gray in, in California, I can't even rain. Oi, oi, are you sure you're in... This is, this is by us a rainy season, that's our winter. With, okay. Oh, it never rain? used to be so cold. It used to be just the rain. Now we got the cold and the rain. You got the cold and the rain. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah you know, from climate change and everything. Now, are, are, you dressing, are you dressing properly? Are you wearing a hat and mittens and gatkas and everything? No, I try not to. I try to, to get the warm within myself, but I do feel like a oh. type of jacket, you know? A jacket is good. Jacket is good. Mittens is, is also kind of good. Yeah. Sometimes what I do is is I'm I'm wearing long underwear and I pour oh, really scalding silk. water and it, it works for a while. Yeah, is it silk under there? Oh, of course. Oh. Okay. Should I wear anything other than silk? Come on. <laughs> Anywho, let us. I have so many wonderful questions to ask the, the singer and actress Rosalind Kind, who is kind enough to be with. Get the little the, the little pun. Uh, we are people of the book, so we make word jokes like that. Who is? Uh, yeah, but, but, but remind me. I wanted to ask you. Temple sons of bitches in Great Neck. Yes. Well, we we tried to have it in Hicksville, but there weren't enough Jews. So. <laughs> We, we moved. But, uh, well, what temple do you belong to? Uh, well, when I was growing up, I went to uh, B'nai Jacob on Glenwood Road in Brooklyn. B'nai Is that still there? Do you know? I know. I don't know. I was recently in Brooklyn. I played Brooklyn College. Oh, yes. And, uh, and uh, if, you know, people came out who knew me then, but uh, I tried to do a lot of research before I went back. The neighborhood has quite changed. But uh, I didn't get to see, uh, by me, the B'nai Jacob on Glenwood Road. I oh. didn't get there. But wait, so when you say the neighborhood's changed, is it what? Is it Eskimo, Schwarz? What's there now? Yeah, Schwarz. <laughs> oh, okay. Just wondering. <laughs> Just curious. Why is it Schwarz? Oh, very, very Schwarz. It's, it's, oh. <laughs> you turn the lights out, you can't see anything. No, I, oh, that's I terrible. Know, it, it, it's so different. You know, it's such a, a middle-class upbringing when I was growing up and we had all kinds of people and uh, churches and synagogues and, and all the kind of, you know, family-run stores. We have the greatest, the greatest Jewish uh, delicatessen, the foster delicatessen, where my, my I used to go get my, my hot dogs on the, on the grill. Mm. Um, you know, and other stores and things to remember. Well, what else do you remember about Brooklyn growing up? What? what? What else do you remember growing up about Brooklyn, New York? Well, it was very neighborhoody, you know? Everybody used to come from their windows and yell out. Everybody knew everybody's business. Well, I still do that, but <laughs> I do that in Colorado and Great Neck. It doesn't matter. Oh, and really? You have a neighborhood like that in Colorado? No, we don't, which is why I get arrested very often. But uh, they let me out because uh, I make trouble in the prison. But, um, but more stores, more, more nostalgic memories of your life in Brooklyn. Oi, vey, where do I go with you? I used to love, you should pardon the expression, I always loved Chinese food. We had a great neighborhood. China. It's going to always go back to the eating. Of course. Because it was all about eating. Now, wait, was it a, a kosher <laughs> Chinese restaurant or just a regular Chinese restaurant? No, it was a regular oh. Chinese restaurant. Oh, yeah, They were our neighbors, and it was, it was so good. It was Sunday night dinner, you know? Sunday, no, that's right. That, that, you know, you can't have a Jewish neighborhood without Chinese restaurants. It just would not That's work. true, but we also had the kosher bakery, Shenley's, which was to die. The best Kaiser rolls and bagels and, oh. and oh, wait, wait a second, Charlotte Russes. 
Charlotte, everybody used to talk about that thing, bro. Nobody talks about it anymore, but it was this. Yeah, this nobody has cream. them anymore. Even the Kanishas from the boardwalk at Brighton Beach, where you can't find them anywhere. Well, is Jonas Schimmel's gone, wherever they were? No, they were... somebody told me that Jonas Schimmel's are still there, but they said Jonas Schimmel's didn't make it mit the, uh, mit the, uh, the very thin dough, which they did on Brighton Beach. Oh. They made it by, by me, the, uh, what, what is that dough that they, uh, the, the Greeks make paklava? Oh, the, the phyllo dough. The phyllo dough, yes. That's yeah. it. Yeah, and I hear oh, it. Was, oh, the there was blueberry cheese, cherry tree cheese, pineapple cheese, kasha, and potato. Oh, oh my God. The heaven was I when I was there. You're, you're making me fail and you're making me drool. <laughs> Doesn't take much to do that at my age, but still. It, it, so let me also ask, since you, you also started singing at a relatively early age, you were on a couple of times. The Ed Sullivan Show. I don't think we've ever had anybody on this, this program who was on the Ed Sullivan Show. What was that? I'm not a single person. What, I, I'm not, are you, I think you are single. You're not married anymore. So, so <laughs> no, are, this, this is true, but I mean, you haven't had one single person who did the Ed Sullivan Show. How could that be? Strangely enough, you know, the, and, and um, I did have people on Arsenio Hall, but it's just not quite the same. I... I <laughs> No, because he had a show, not a shoe. He had a really big show. That's right. A really, <laughs> right here on our stage, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Pepino, the singing mouse, and then plate spinners, and Roslyn Kind. So tell me, what the <laughs> but, hell? But the, the mouse was Topo Gigio. Oh, that's right. Uh, to, Topo Gigio. Uh, Pepino was a different... I, I get my rodents mixed up. <laughs> As did that kosher bakery, which is why they were closed for a few weeks. But, you know, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I kid, I kid. What? Yeah, but Rabbi, tell me, where do you get a good uh, rogalach in Colorado? When you get, uh, I, you know, I, I bought carpeting last week in... in not carpeting, a oh, rugaloch. Oh, rug I'm sorry. I thought, <laughs> I, I thought you meant a little rug, which is what you get at the carpet store. <laughs> right. You, you, you don't get rugaloch in, in Colorado. What you do is you take a burrito and you leave it out in the sun for six hours. And then you pour jam on it and it sort of approximates a rugaloch, kind of. Uh, not right, not right. Almost. Cream cheese, the, uh, the cream cheese butter though. Oh, oh. Oh, you're making me hungry again, but tell me about Ed Sullivan. What is there about Ed Sullivan? He's gone now, you know. I, is he really? I, I did not know that. I assumed he was still walking around. For a long time, around. even then, but uh, nobody told him. He's doing a show on public access at the moment. It's one. <laughs> No, no, but come on, do you remember your, you being backstage and the feelings and being told you had five minutes and then you only had two minutes? All the, oh, tell, yeah, What, what, yeah. what, tell me, tell me. makeup chair and they come in, they tell you, you gotta get finished, you gotta get finished, you do one stage in ten. Right, and, and do you remember what you did on the show? Uh, the first time I think I sang, uh, what the heck did I sing the first time? Um... Oh, gosh, you know, I can't remember. So I think it was something from my first album on RCA. It, it wasn't Disco Stick. It wasn't a Lady Gaga song. I know that. No, it wasn't Disco. No. No, no. Uh, I was not a disco singer, you know? No, this is... This Maybe been... once in my... In one of my shows, I used to do a song that you, you could dance, you know, you could dance to that way, but I wasn't that disco singer, per se. No, no, of course not. But do you have any, any specific... Memories of, of what Sullivan said to you, either on stage or off stage, or any any rules that were given to you, anything. There was no rules. You didn't really feel. Uh, you didn't see much of it. But you know that when I uh, auditioned for him, ah. 
I auditioned for him uh, in his apartment at, uh, I think it was Delmonico Hotel or the Dre, wherever he was, somewhere on Park Avenue. Oh. And I auditioned for him privately with my manager. We went up to his apartment. Oh, I was wondering if you were uh, alone and, and how you addressed me. No, very, very. I'm just and, uh, asking. Okay. Uh, no, 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 no. First of all, he's a two guy. You should be alone with. <laughs> yes, true. So you and so you went up to his apartment. What did you sing? Um, God, I, you know, you're asking me questions I don't remember. It's such a time ago. Well, have you... time ago. What did I sing? I maybe sang, uh, what did I sing? Um, let's see, I want to laugh and I want to dance, I want to love, I want to listen to your chance. I want to give, to give. Um, you know, I can't remember the title. It was a Led Zeppelin song. I think it was Give Me You. It was the title of my album. Oh, Give Me You. That was your first album on RCA back in 1969. Right, yeah, give yeah. Me You. And then, as you said, uh, you know, uh, he was a, a straight, upright, goyish kind of guy, so he didn't say, hey, give me you. You actually just sang for him and he put you on the show. That's great. Yeah, yeah. And we had a little problem there because somebody else booked me on another rival television show and we had to go into arbitration. Oh, I did not know that. And, and uh, we didn't know what was going to happen, whether I was going to make my debut on the Ed Sullivan show or on Hollywood Palace. And it turned and out, Ed yes. Bond. Did you also get on Hollywood Palace at one point, or...? Oh, they got very upset that we didn't do their show. I figured, because it, 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 the rivalries back then... And I, and I was a little innocent Totskiller, you know? What how, did I know? How I was old in the middle you, of this arbitration. How old were you back then, in, in that time when you were starting out? Seventeen. I want to dance I want to love I want to live Give me the chance I want to care And I want to feel I want the things Happiness brings When love is real I want to give
Music Tainer, and you are listening to Dave's Gone By on UNC Radio. So you were already a math teacher, or you were thinking about being a math no, teacher? No, I was thinking of being a math teacher when I was in 7th and 8th grade. I used to mark the papers for my math teacher. And that gave you the idea, but then what gave you, was it, with all due respect, knowing that your sister made it, and you thought, oh, I can do this too? Yeah, or what? yeah well, you know what, I always sang as a little girl. My mom sang, may she rest in peace. My, yes. And my sister sang, and I always sang, and I loved to sing. I, I made up my hours at home alone, singing and acting things out in the mirror, you know? It was always what I loved to do, but that was my make-believe world. And, uh, and as I got uh, a little older, and I saw that my, my big schwester, uh, it happened for her. It happened. You know, mom was a little scared. She was a little worried that she, it's a very hurtful world out there. True. And she didn't know whether she should let her go or whatever, but my sister was very strong-minded and she did her thing. And now I could see that this, this can be achieved. You can get out there and it can happen. It's not just on the movie screen, you know? And you did, at that point, on some level, uh, idolize your older sister. She was nine years older than you, so when she yeah, was well, on... I, you, you always idolize your, your siblings, no? Your big siblings. My big brother and my sister, my schwester. Right, yes. Uh, I mean, I was the baby, so you always look up to the big ones, no? And, and the thing is, was there a point, though, when you had to stop doing that to an extent? I mean, you still got to love and idolize your... You know, so, but, but when you had to say, okay, this is my life now, and I'm a wonderful singer, and I have a career, and you're, you're secure within yourself. I'm totally, totally secure within myself. I just still love my siblings very much. This is, what does your brother do? If I might, uh, uh, he's now semi-retired, but he uh, he started out as a commercial artist, and he had his own advertising agency, and then he got into investments in in land and properties. Oh, so he's doing better than both of you combined. Then there you go. With oh, <laughs> muscle, with click. That's that's. Right, but the, the best thing is the grandchildren that he loves. And, uh, you know, that's everybody looks forward to that, right? Exactly. But can I ask you one thing, uh, going back again to your, your youth and the fact that, yes, you could sing... What do you mean going back to my youth? I'm sorry. <laughs> that was a terrible... I'm, I didn't mean it that way. To your first <laughs> youth. Solomon, sure. Well, you're not 17 anymore. You've got to be at least 22. All right. At least, yeah. Uh, 22, we'll, we'll, we'll say. <laughs> but when you're even younger than 17... Yes, maybe you could sing, but you were also, uh, as you have said, overweight and, and sh very shy. How did you overcome all that? Shy, extremely. I had relatives who thought uh, I'd never go into show business because I wouldn't sing in front of anybody. I sang in a couple of school shows, you know, but I used to get very nervous. So, very nervous. what did you do? How did you overcome uh, this? I don't know. It just kind of happened. You know, you, you start doing it and you get a little braver and a little braver. Sometimes people are telling you what to do and then comes the day where you're telling them, no, I'm not, I'm doing this. <laughs> and I, it, it sounds funny, but this is exactly that. Sometimes you just, something clicks in the brain and you say, I'm not getting anywhere by being shy. I have to. Uh, nowhere. Right. Nowhere does it help. Exactly. But you know, but it's still a part of me. It's still a part of me. I think I come out, uh, I'm less shy on stage, you know? Okay, I do. One thing you, you told a San Diego writer that you don't quite get stage fright, but you do get nervous, and that mm -hmm. what you do is you say affirmations. 
yeah. to yourself. Like like when I when I do a sermon before I go on, I say, "Oh, Rabbi Sal, you don't suck. Your breath is okay. Your penis isn't that small." These are the things that I I tell myself. This is what you say to yourself before you go out there to speak? Yes. Well, I have to psych myself up in a, in a manner of speaking. What? Well, do I you, don't. I don't exactly say that. I would hope not. I, I would hope <laughs> your penis is larger than mine, but. <laughs> Now, actually, mine is much more spiritual. Oh, no, it's shaped like a mezuzah, no doubt. But no, I don't even know what that means. But what, what are, if you don't mind sharing some of the things that you say to yourself to, to when you go out there and when you want to give a great show? Uh, basically, I don't say so much to myself as I speak to the Almighty above. Oh, really? You he pray? To guide me mm. and to, to use me as a vehicle to touch people's lives in a very positive way, to spread joy, to bring happiness. So that's actually To make prayer. them forget their troubles for a little while. Do, do, you, do you attend synagogue? I mean, you mentioned you were at Benet Jacob way, way back when, but now, are you ever... At, at, the mo at this moment, I'm not belonging right now, but I have, and I do, and I am a very spiritual person. I would hope on the high holy days at the very least, you, you know, mm -hmm. for like five minutes before it gets too boring and, and uh, <laughs> on Yom Kippur with a halitosis flying around, you want to get out of there, but just show up, show your face and then leave. God, God sees you and then he's okay, you can go have a sandwich, you know? No, no, we, we try to hold the, the fist, you know? We are talking with Roslyn Kind here on the Dave's Gone By radio program. Wanted to, to ask some other things of this, this wonderful singer and actress. Can I ask, what was the first either uh, big concert or Broadway show that you ever saw as a kid? The first, I think, was um, I Can Get It For Your Wholesale. Oh, with your sister? Yeah. Oh, okay. So you weren't a theater-going, uh, concert-going family until she... Uh, yeah, my, we, I never went to uh, Manhattan on the train from Brooklyn until, uh, until my sister was very active. Obviously, seeing her up on a stage like that must have been amazing okay. for various reasons. Then. Always. And being, of course, your first big show. And, and was that the moment, though, that you said, Ah, I want to do that? No. Ah, okay. It came slowly. It came slowly. I was, I, I just, I went to New York and I was very proud to be my sister's sister. Yeah, sister's sister, this is, okay, that's, that's very true. And, um, can I ask, what are your very favorite songs that you like to sing in concert over the years, or maybe there's one or two favorites that you have now? I don't know if they're the same from t years ago. Well... I happen to love a very special song that was written by Stephen Schwartz from The Baker's Wife called Meadowlark. Oh, that's a wonderful song. That's one of my favorite. Oh, hello. the fourth piece for me. It's a, it's a beautiful, beautiful song. I, I, I've heard Betty Buckley do it. And I, I, is it on any of your albums? Do you do that? Uh, uh yeah. Oh. Come What May. Come What May. So that's fine. Right, and I do it in my shows. I love, I love that moment in the show. I love it. I mean, I, I relate it very differently. I take it out of context of the baker's wife, and I relate it to my own life, uh, talking to my grandma. Days that never I learned, I loved 
this is Rosalind Kind, and you are listening to Dave's Gone By on UNC Radio. If you go on YouTube and things, you can find footage and stuff of your mother, but what was your grandmother like? I did not know her very well because she died early oh, well. in my life, but um, my memories of her were always to impart certain um, wisdoms, you know, to go after my dreams. And always had, she always had these little charms. And you remember square charms, the package candy? I remember lucky charms. I don't really uh, remember. So that's a cereal. This yeah. was a candy, like a, like uh, kind of like lightsabers, but square. Square. Who the hell would think of a square candy? And they were individually wrapped. So my can, I used to love the cherry. So my grandma would always have those in her pocket. Oh, that's what grandmas do. Yeah. yeah. Plus, strange old men in raincoats on the subways. But grandma's is better is, is when they give you the candy. <laughs> you don't know what that means. Let me... <laughs> let me also... When you touch that guy's lollipop if you paid me. <laughs> right, exactly. That's what I, you know what I'm talking about. I know what you're talking about. Sure I do. So... I was born yesterday, but I wasn't born tomorrow either. <laughs> that's a very good point. Um... <laughs> Now, the one, I wouldn't say it's a necessarily touchy question, but I know that uh, Dave, who is the, the host of this actual radio program, a few weeks back he was interviewing the wonderful Fran Drescher, whom you know because you were, you were on The Nanny. Right. Well, so I have a couple of Drescherish related questions. First of all, you, you played yourself on an episode. How did that come about? Actually, uh... How did that come? I think Renee Taylor recommended me. We went to see one of the episodes being taped, and uh, Renee Taylor recommended me. And at that time, another lady that I knew and that I had worked with on a, on, a, uh, on a variety special was one of the writers on the show. Oh, well, that, that works out perfectly. Can I ask, did you commiserate with Fran Drescher because uh, you were both at one point married to men who turned out not to be into women. Was... You know, we never talked about it. Really? I mean, she, yeah. she does a whole sitcom about it now. That's her, that's her whole thing, happily divorced. Cause her, the, right, the... right. And as a matter of fact, uh, she, she came to see us in November here at the Hollywood Bowl. And she said, you should come to the show again. I said, sure, show me when I come. I'll be there. What day? Very, yeah, of course. <laughs> she, she's a nice Jewish woman doing a wonderful TV program. But, but did you, I mean, I guess times were different then, but did you not sort of know that you were... No. Huh. It's a very touchy question, Rabbi, and I only spoke to my own rabbi here about those things. <laughs> did you really, you, you asked your rabbi, what did he tell you? Well, it's a very private situation. Oh, I, I, I don't want to be private, but you know, okay. I, I, I was very naive. I was very young for my age, and very naive because for many of my years I was very protected. Okay, well, very true. And I was still very young, so to me, uh, I, I fell in love with a, a, a pretty face and somebody who loved me. Yes. And uh, he was very young, so I took it for youth. And how long were you together? How long were you married? Not long. <laughs> oh, okay, well, oh, so, so it became apparent it wasn't a very long-term thing. Did, did you remain friends when it yes. was? Oh, God, this is good. Okay. Same, same with Fran Drescher. You should be, they're terrific. They're still writing the, we're writing the show together. They're, yes, they're very close friends. So have you been, are you, are you dating? Are you seeing anybody now? Or are you... 
I wouldn't mind if I could. You know anybody? Oh, uh, all, I know a lot of Satmer Jews. And uh, they're, they're, they're difficult because they never take those big furry hats off. So you can hey, never wait, get... No, no, no. I, I could not live as an orthodox. <laughs> I know. I know. You, you can't even get intimate with them. You walk up to them. <laughs> you shake a hand from 10 feet away because the hat keeps hitting you in the forehead. I hate that. <laughs> But but okay, so you're you're in the but you're in the day. Is it that hard? I mean, you you tour and you're you're famous and stuff. Is it that hard to meet nice Jewish men? Very hard, very hard. Why? I don't know. I think maybe sometimes men out there are intimidated. I mean, you know, even if you talk to my my uh, my my husband, you, you put they could put you on a pedestal. You know, they. Um, Wait, 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 what do you mean talk to your husband? You mean your ex? Your... Well, my ex. Oh, okay, yeah. Was, they, was... But he's not with us anymore, so you couldn't talk to him unless you prayed to him. Uh -uh. Um, it, it's, 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 it's very hard. I think there's a lot of uh, intimidation that happens, you know? I guess. I, I, mean, I, mean, I... I don't think I'm very intimidating, but I think it's something that's created in the head. There's a barrier. I mean, they think you're, you're famous and, and, you know, you're... Well, and, and that's in some cases. In other cases, oh. and in other cases, it's something else. Somebody loves me. I wonder who. I wonder who he can be. Somebody loves me I wish I knew Who can it be worries me For every guy that passes me by I shout, hey mister Psst. Maybe you were meant to be My ever-loving honey to tell Baby more minutes more with Rosalind Kind, the singer, the actress, and, and is, by the way, your most recent CD, the, the one from 2007, or do you have a new one? No, that's the most recent. Okay. So, well, hopefully we'll be getting into the studio soon, and uh, working on some new music. Oh, do you have songs picked out or in your mind yet? No, oh, a couple uh, maybe. A couple. Well, can I ask... Is there, how do you find room in this day and age? You know, it's, it's, a, it's a music world dominated by, by Destiny's Child and Lady Gaga and things like that. Is there still room for the American standards kind of, not make-believe ballroom, but you know, you know what I'm saying. It, no, I never said, there's a, there's a lot of people out there doing American songbook. Uh, they work different venues. The work is not... Um, it's very different because uh, the kids have manipulated the market. It became very much a kid's business in, in every area, you know, youth-oriented. Right. Um, and the kids need to learn to appreciate the American songbook. But uh, it's, it's a very strange world. It's a world of reality shows. It's a world of rap. 
True. No, and hip hop, and I have. Right. I actually have replacement hip hop. Is I had one of my hip hops replaced, uh, you know, surgically. It was, uh, wow, not even a laugh, not anything right there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was funny. Oh well. <laughs> it fell flat, Rabbi. And I'm sorry. Well, I I <laughs> fell flat. That's why I had my hip hop replaced. <laughs> now, can I also let's see? Oh, oh, one one nice thing that you do. Because Wait, um, just one, well, many. It involves. I'm trying to say something nice about you. God damn it! Let me say something nice. Okay, you um you give to charity. You're you're involved in, in causes, including you love animals. Because at one point you you had a beloved pet, a dog. Mm-hmm, my puppy. Mm-hmm. And and my uh, puppy, my little boy. What? Tell us about your doggy. Well, my my puppy was Joshy, Josh Kind. That's a, a Jewish dog right there. Okay, yes. He's Jewish dog. And I fell in love with him at first sight, and um, he traveled with me, he went on stage with me, he did it, made his Broadway debut at Christmas time of 1992. Wait, 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 was that when you were in Three from Brooklyn? Right. Okay, right. Just, just checking, okay. So that would have been Four from Brooklyn <laughs> at that moment. At that, on this particular show, this particular night. <laughs> but when, when your beloved Josh uh, passed, you decided to, to be more active with animal issues, yes? Yes. I, whatever I was giving to my, my little baby, I now decided to share with others. And uh, made donations. And, uh, and it, it, to me, charity, not only for the, for the animals that don't have a voice, but children who don't have a voice, the elderly. Or, or as we like to call them, the mute. <laughs> if they don't have a voice. Well, at least I got a laugh out of that one. Well... <laughs> A friendly face, the kind of face that melts you with a grin. The kind of eyes that welcome you the minute you walk in. The tender glance you simply can't refuse. At times like this, a girl could use a dog. He listens when you tell him things. There's nothing you can't say. And unlike certain people, you can teach him how to stay. And if the world is A stack of books, a tuna man. 
a simple walk together underneath that starry sky. And suddenly the night is something rare. And all because there's someone special there who's gazing. Views his head upon your shoes. It's times like this I sure could use my Been talking to the, the delightful Rosalind Kind, and, and uh, I, to, I do want to ask. I mean, I mean, I, we can't get away from it. I mean, there, there's a clip on YouTube of uh, you singing back in October with your sister in concert. I mean, how often do you, you get to see her, either as family and or in professional situations? In family, a lot. Wonderful. Professional. If she's playing, I go. Of course, I go see her. I traveled when she was on tour in Europe, and I spent 10 days with her in London and had a great time. And um, if she's here working, I love to see her. This was the very first time that we sang in public together, so it was history-making. Oh, my, I didn't realize that was the one. And oh, do you hope it might happen more, or it was fine? I certainly do. Well, <laughs> well she could always come to it's one phenomenal. of your concerts and phenomenal. sing. You know, I mean, you, how often also do you spend during, uh, you know, over the course of the year between touring, the studio stuff, and, and other things that you do? How does that, what's, how do you chop that up time, or, or TV shows? It, it, it just depends on what's happening at that, that year, what comes through. Good point. So what are you hoping for over the next 10, 15, 20, 30 years? Everything. Oh, I like that. Everything, and I'm not separating nothing. <laughs> I think that's a, a wonderful and, are you, and the most important thing, since you are Jewish and, and I am Jewish and we both love food, are you able to still eat the, the way you wanted to, the way you could way back when, or now, you know, with me, I have to worry about yeah, my heart, my kidneys. Like it is like this. I love food. My eyes melt at the things I love to eat. My memories, when I think about what we were talking before, oh, but I can't eat like that anymore. Ah. If I go to a deli, you know, now they're not so kosher anymore. I eat eggs or a salad. I don't eat corned beef. I don't eat any of the fattening stuff. Not even on your birthday? Not, well, you know, sometimes it's like I still go the health way. I still try to eat very healthy. I do cheat once in a while, but I tend to eat healthy. And sometimes, you know, it's, it's really just controlling, so you have a taste or something, but you don't go really hog wild. Yeah, oh, especially not with hog. <laughs> that's certainly oh, yeah. not kosher. I should yet. take that back. That's like a Christ right. <laughs> I know. Like cow wild. How's that? Cow, cow wild. Sheep wild. Don't go sheep wild. That's, that's <laughs> Well, I we are just absolutely wild about the delightful, lovely Rosalind kind. Keep, you know, go to her website to find out when she will be touring and appearing near you. Make sure to pick up her her most recent seat. It's a couple of years old, but it's still relatively recent. And, and just be on the lookout for her in your neighborhood, because obviously she's such a, a sweetie and so 
talented, and so nice to come talk to us about Jewish matters in the neighborhood. It's been a delight. Same here, Rabbi. What a delight having uh, Rosalind Kind here in the neighborhood with the one and only Rabbi Saul Solomon. Here on Dave's Gone By, it is 12.30 in the afternoon, mountain time, here at uncradio.com. Great to have you listening. We've got so much more to do and so little time to do it in. I do want to let you know, um, you know it is finally, finally 
springtime. So I'm going to give you a look at the weather. It is already mid-50s out, going up to a high of about 65 degrees later on in the afternoon. Might get a little bit of a thunderstorm or a thundershower, perhaps, but, but no, I think they've actually changed the forecast on that, and it, it moved away. Looks like we'll just get a mix of sun and clouds. It's going to be nice. Um, and then tomorrow, wow. 68 degrees for a high, pure, beautiful sunshine, low of about 28 degrees. Monday, get a little bit of a cold front and clouds move in, possibly some rain. High only in the low 50s with, uh, as I said, occasional showers. But again, the lows aren't getting that low. They're still in the upper 20s. Tuesday, we dry up, we get clouds, high again in the mid-50s. And then Wednesday, we're back to mid-60s for the highs. So definitely, um, today's going to be nice, except for a little possible rain here and there, and then tomorrow, absolutely gorgeous. So uh, make the very best of this weekend that you can. We're going to go inside Broadway now for uh, news of the theater, both in New York, and I'll do a little bit of reviewing of what I saw in Colorado while I was there uh, last weekend. Won't have time for too much of that. I'll probably have to push that to next week's show. But I do want to let you know certainly some of the things that are going on in New York. Playwrights Horizons, the venerable off-Broadway institution, has announced its upcoming season. Um, what will happen is right now they're going to be doing a new musical called Far From Heaven, which is by Richard Greenberg, Scott Frankel, and Michael Corey. The latter two guys were the folks who put together Grey Gardens. Uh, but in May and June, you've got that. And then the new season begins, which will include a play by Anne Washburn called Mr. Burns, a post-electric play. Then you'll have a play by Marlena Myers called The Patron Saint of Sea Monsters. Madeline George has a new play called The Curious Case of the Watson Intelligence. And then uh, <laughs> moving all the way to next April, a year from now, a play by Kirk Lynn called Your Mother's Copy of the Kama Sutra. That one sounds interesting. And Sarah Rule, that brilliant writer who wrote In the Next Room, The Vibrator Play. Her new play, Stage Kiss, happens also somewhere in the season, as does a new musical called Fly by Night. And that will be happening in May of 2014. So pretty full roster there for Playwrights Horizons off-Broadway. A little bit of uh, bad news for off-Broadway. A musical is going to be closing Forever Dusty, which is a bio-reviewsical about the life of Dusty Springfield. Plays its last New York performance at New World Stages uh, next weekend, April 7th. It was written by Kirsten Holly Smith and Jonathan Bankin. Began performances back in early November at the theater. Opened on November 18th. And by the time it closes... It will have played eight previews and 161 regular performances. Not bad for an off-Broadway musical. Um, little also kind of sad news of a loss, kind of a shock on this one. If you remember Richard Griffiths, who made the big splash on Broadway in The History Boys, playing that professor who's sort of old guard and lovable and curmudgeonly, but also is kind of brought up on some inappropriate charges, Hmm, any connections to UNC there? I don't know. Anywho, he also did um, that revival of Equus that Daniel Radcliffe starred in just two or three years ago, and uh, Griffiths and Radcliffe were both in the Harry Potter movies. So uh, uh, Griffiths probably now best known for playing the horrible Uncle Vernon, the guy that 
uh, Harry leaves when he finally gets to escape that family. Well, anyway, Richard Griffiths has escaped this world. He died on Thursday at age 65 after complications following heart surgery. And Griffiths' long career, mostly in the United Kingdom, he started doing Shakespeare there, followed by a bunch of small film roles. He also did roles, as I said, in Harry Potter and Pirates of the Caribbean. So farewell to him. Oh, and I uh, want to let you know about a play that's just happening now in Colorado at the Denver Center. They are doing John Robin Bates's Tony Award-nominated play, Other Desert Cities. It's in the Space Theater, uh, playing now through Mar- excuse me, through April 28th. It's directed by Kent Thompson, who is the producing artistic director of the Denver Center Theater Company. And it's all about this family and how their political views are just as dysfunctional as they are. Wish I'd gotten to see this one in New York. It really sounds great and a real return to form for John Robbie Bates. So do check that out at the Denver Center as we speak. Now, um, I've been speaking about my trip to Indiana. I wanted to mention just a couple of shows that I saw there before we get to our Bob Dylan segment for this Dave's Gone By. First of all, a play that I saw, I did see in New York a couple of years back, Nikki Silver's comedy, very dark comedy called The Lions, which on Broadway, it was hysterically funny, especially the first act. It's all about this awful, awful Jewish family. Now, the father's lying there. He's in the hospital. He's dying. He's on the way out. You've got the mother who stopped loving him ages ago. In fact, she's so ready for him to be gone. She's already looking at catalogs and picking out uh, furniture and ways to renovate the house the the second he kicks off so they can finally get some new furniture and, and wallpaper and stuff. And she's doing that while he's there in the room. Meanwhile, you've got the daughter who's an alcoholic and has her own issues, and then you've got the son who is gay and a virgin and, you know, kind of a creep in certain ways that we find out. So, yeah, it's, it's one big, happy, hilarious family, especially on Broadway, when you had the mother being played by Linda Lavin, who was a, a guest on this show about two years ago, and just a really funny Broadway performer. But she's a real, she's a star on Broadway. She, she has that real sort of, and that, that you grow into, I guess, when you've had a certain level of experience and age. There's, she's doing a star turn. It's kind of like what Al Pacino did in his recent turn in uh, Glengarry Glen Ross. You, you watch him, you love him, but there's a certain part of him that's playing to the audience rather than just to the play. And Linda Lavin did a lot of that. And she was hysterically funny. But I think it may have hurt the play itself in some ways, when it played on Broadway, because it didn't seem to hang together, and it didn't, um, you know, once she was off the stage, who weren't as interested. Here, when they're doing the play at the Phoenix Theater in Indianapolis, it's more of a piece. The mother is a very good actress, but she's not playing completely for laughs, the way Lavender laughs or applause or big moments. She's actually in the piece, and we kind of feel for her that it isn't just this one-sided thing of this poor dying guy and his horrible wife. They're both pretty awful, and we see that, and we see the kids. And, and here the play is much more about the grown children trying to break free of the chains of this family and of their own 
craziness. It was a very nice job on this play that I, I like even more as a play, seeing it a second time at the theater at the Phoenix Theater in Indianapolis. A play that I liked less seeing it the second time, no real fault of the people who were doing it, was um, the Dolly Parton musical, 9 to 5. It was being done by Beef and Board's Dinner Theater. Yes, Virginia, some cities still do have a dinner theater. And this is a pretty professional and big one. They've got like 450 seats, and they do serve the food, and they've got desserts available, and then they do a real professional job on the, the show. Unfortunately, the show that they chose was 9 to 5, which is a pretty negligible piece of work. Um, I mean, you know, in other circumstances, you would give Dolly Parton credit because it's her first show. So she wrote a lot of new songs for it. I mean, 9 to 5, of course, was a hit single way before this was even a gleam in her eye where they made the, the 9 to 5 movie. And then you've got, um, I think, Backwoods Barbie is another song that she had written for sort of herself that they've interpolated into the score. But she's also written songs for the show. So, I mean, give her that, that for a first show to be done on Broadway. I mean, I wonder if Richard Rogers' first show or Oscar Hammerstein's first show was so great or William Finn's. I mean, you know, let her work into it a little. And 9 to 5 does have, have the story. It's all about these women in this office with this horrible boss and their sexism and he's treating them like dirt and, you know, it's a very um, stodgy work atmosphere and, and everybody's afraid of everything and they can't put their pictures up and they can't take coffee breaks for too long. I mean, you know, office stuff exaggerated. And so they get their revenge almost by accident and then intentionally and then try remaking the office in a more feminist and humane way. Okay, it's a perfectly good serviceable plot both for the movie and for a show. But the show just gets dumb at some point. I mean, it goes into a fantasy sequence that's kind of, I mean, it's just not funny. You get what they're trying to do, but you kind of sit there going, oh boy, this is going off the rails. And there's stupid things that happen, and there's overdone things that happen. And what could have been a perfectly passable, decent entertainment, at times you just sit there going, okay, I'm, I'm just wishing this was over. It's no patch on the cast who can all act and sing. There's some overly exaggerated you know, costuming and makeup, and, and I will say, you know, here it is, it's a dinner theater, so they're going to be choosing safe material, and yet almost all the jokes that land in any kind of a way tend to be rather crude. You know, they're, 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 a dirty word is thrown out here and there, there's a visual gag of some guy in the morning in his underpants, and you know how men are in the morning in their underpants. So it's this weird dichotomy of, well, God forbid they should touch, you know, really edgy work, in a dinner theater, stuff that, like Sweeney, well, I don't know if I want to be serving meat pies while watching Sweeney Todd, but you know what I'm saying. And meanwhile, the jokes are things that you probably wouldn't want a 10-year-old seeing necessarily. I don't know. Anyway, 9 to 5 at Beef and Boards. I, again, not a big fan of the score. I guess if you are, you're going to like the show a bit more than I did. One song that I did kind of like, and that does work, in the second act that really kind of brings the second act back for a while is a song called Get Out and Stay Out. It's a real, um, you know, a big 11 o'clock number for a woman who's been put upon and downtrodden for most of the show. This is from the Broadway production 
of 9 to 5 from a couple of years back. Stephanie J. Block doing the honors on this Dolly Parton number. It's called Get Out and Stay Out.
pretty cool 11 o'clock number there, courtesy of Stephanie J. Block and the original cast of the Broadway musical 925. And uh, have so much more of theater stuff to, um, to tell you about from my trip to Indianapolis. But uh, let's, let's put that on hold. Let's have that wait. So, something to look forward to for next week's show. So I'll be talking about The Whipping Man that we saw at um, Indiana Repertory Theater. We also saw a kind of a fringy Twelfth Night uh, Shakespeare version that was updated to the 1920s in the Flapper era. And I was talking about Michael Feinstein before and his Great American Songbook and, and the archive that he has. Well, we also saw Michael Feinstein in concert with the legendary Barbara Cook. So, yeah, I wish I had another hour, but I don't. And I do want to play some Bob Dylan for you. So let's, let's segue, shall we? Let's move onward with the show to our Bob Dylan Sooner and Later segment. We're going to play just a couple of Dylan tunes for you in honor of Passover, of which this is probably, I guess, the sixth day. I can never keep that straight, and it's different than Israel, but whatever it is, happy Passover to all our Jewish listeners, and of course, happy Easter tomorrow to all our non-Jewish listeners. So, um, Dylan, Jewish, yeah, kind of Christian, too. I don't know what the hell his religion is at this point, but um, all I care about, really, is the music. And so he mentions things in some of his songs that have to do, in some way, with elements of Passover, be it the biblical exodus or the Seder that people all have, I went poking through and found a few songs that uh, could be relevant in their way. Let us begin with a song that was from his heavy-duty Christian period, a song from um, the title track, actually, of his album Saved, which means that the song is called Saved, or at least Save Me Some Herosis. I was blinded by the devil, born already ruined Stepped out of the womb By his grace I have been touched By his word I have been healed By his hand I've been delivered By his spirit I've been sealed I've been saved Oh, man. Well, I'm so glad 
As I walk out tonight in the mystic garden The wounded flowers were dangling from the vine I was passing by a young cool crystal fountain Someone hits me from behind Ain't talking, just walking Say prayer has the power to heal So pray for my mother In the human heart An evil spirit can dwell I'm a trying to love my neighbor And do good unto others But oh mother Things ain't going well Ain't talking Just walking
no waters on this long and lonesome road. I'm talking, just walking. My mule is sick, my horse is blind. I'm burning, still yearning. Thinking about that gal I left behind. Well, it's bright in the heavens and the wheels are flying. Fame and honor never seem to fade. The fire gone out, but the light is never dying. Who says I can't get heavenly aid? Ain't talking, just walking. Suffering is unending. Every nook and cranny has its tears. I'm not playing. I'm not pretending. I'm not nursing any superfluous fears. Ain't talking. Just walking. Walking ever since the other. Modern Times, a recent Bob Dylan album, and the song Ain't Talkin', which uh, 
has, which mentions walking through the cities of the plague, a little bit of a Passover theme there, and we heard the title track from the Dylan album Saved, where he mentions the blood of a lamb. Well, I mean, that's, um, that's, for him, it's Christian iconography in that song, but of course, in the Passover story, the Jews were saved from having their firstborn slaved by, uh, firstborn slayed, slain, one of those words, by God, because they put the blood of a lamb on their doorposts, and the angel of death knew to pass over their doorways if they had the blood on the, the lamb, etc., and so forth. Although, you figure if um, you know, the local Christians had any brains, they would have looked at the Jews doing that and said, hey, maybe I should do that too, and, and our firstborn won't die. Oh, well. Anyway, I wish I could play more Dylan for you, but I've got to get rolling, and... Um, it's 12.58 in the afternoon already here, Mountain Time, at the University of Northern Colorado. And so it just leaves a little bit of time for me to, first of all, thank the folks who helped make this show what it is. Big thanks to Lou Harry for all the work he did in setting up that conference in, in Indianapolis, about which I will tell you more next week. Big thank you to Sam Wood, the general manager of this station, and to, uh, of course, Rosalind Kind, for being there with the rabbi and having that wonderful interview with him. Thanks also to Jackie Stander for setting that interview up, and to my beloved and adorable wife for actually not just being in my corner, but calling in and reminding me of all the things that I forgot to mention while I was talking about our trip. So that's kind of cool. Um, what else? I want to let you know just about a couple of friends in the neighborhood currently, folks who have been on the program. This is your last chance today, or, or yeah, today, to catch the Haunted Scary Spooky Inn. That's Target Margin Theater doing an old Yiddish play at the Abrams Arts Center on the Lower East Side with David Herskovitz directing. Also, you can catch Danny Burstyn in Tally's Folly off-Broadway. You've got Jim Caruso teaming with Billy Stritch tomorrow at the Carlisle Hotel's Bemelman's Bar. And then on April 1st, no fool and Karen Mason will be at Birdland, and then on the 4th, Jane Sibbery will be doing a salon performance in New York. For more information about that, go to janesibbery.com. Reminder to everybody to listen to Everything Old is New Again on WBAI on Sunday nights. Subscribe to drdemento.com for new Dr. Demento shows. Visit The Village Voice to read movie reviews by Alan Scherstuhl and as far as off-Broadway and stuff, go see Dave Koenig doing Addicted to Show Business on Wednesdays at St. Luke's Theatre Off-Broadway Carrie Hoffman still doing My Sinatra at Sophia's John Davidson in the Fantastics at the Snapple Theatre Centre, Perfect Crime playing in the same place featuring Catherine Russell and now through June, The Accidental Pervert with Andrew Goffman still at the 13th Street Theatre Well, we will be back next Saturday, usual time, 10 a.m. until 1 in the afternoon here doing Dave's Gong By. Remember that you can listen to older episodes of the show anytime just by going to our website davesgongby.com That's D-A-V-E-S gongby.com and drop me an email davesgongby at aol.com for suggestions of stuff we're going to do on future shows. Well, I didn't get to talk as much about him as I thought I would, so I will next week. But um, as I mentioned, we saw Michael Feinstein um, in concert when we were in Indianapolis. He was there doing a duet with Barbara Cook. And so why not go out with a bit of Michael Feinstein in his great American songbook mode? And uh, I'll see you uh, 
in a week. Since you've gone away, one thing is clear to me. You were dearer than dear to me from the moment you came. Evenings by your side, I learned to love the night, but the loveliness of the night is no longer the same. And shadows fall. I dream of you. When day is done, I think of all the joys we knew. That yearning, returning to hold you in my arms, won't go, love. I know, love. Without you, night has lost its charms. When day is done and grass is wet with twilight's dew, my lonely heart is sinking with the sun. Although I miss your tender kiss, the whole day through, I miss you. Vesper bells are ringing somewhere far away. There's a silvery star away at the edge of the sky. Work is done and life is like a song to me. For some treasures belong to me that no money can buy. Ten. 